Bruce, Larry Zabisco, do you hear what I hear? I hear music playing. I hear big pipes. It sounds like Piper's music. Here he comes, right out of the box here. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, (laughs) as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. Um, I see that uh, in the world of wrestling today, WCW is still alive and well because now we have uh, not only is Starcade, Clash of Champions, and War Games all being used, but um, Bash of the Beach is supposed to be returning next month with all elite wrestling. Next month being uh, January 2020. So it's just uh, it's interesting to see like how much staying power some things that WCW had. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when the AEW announced that they were doing a show with the batch, Bash at the Beach theme, uh, it, it sort of came up on Twitter that, you know, some of the WCW trademarks had been allowed to lapse by WWE and that Cody was able to buy. He, I think, bought anything that he associated, that was available, mm-hmm. uh, that he associated with his dad or were that ideas that his dad came up with. Uh, ring announcer for WCW, David Penzer, was on Twitter talking about how he was surprised at how many were available and that he had almost purchased bash of the beach for some kind of project that he didn't specify, but a project that he was working on some time ago. I actually went and looked cause I was like, I want to, I want to, I don't know how much it costs to trademark something, but I was like, if I could own a WCW pay-per-view name, that would just be like a fun, weird gimmick. I don't know what I would do with it. Probably nothing, but it would just be like a weird, Feather in the show's cap if we were the legal owner of Fall Brawl or something. Uh, But I looked, and there's really nothing, none of the big ones are available. Like, Fall Brawl, WWE has renewed, so WWE is still the legal owner of the Fall Brawl trademark. Uh, But you could, we could have bought Sold Out uh, with the spelling (laughs) S-O-U-L-E-D, like they did for the show. So. Uh, maybe I shouldn't tip our hand because now some other rival podcast is going to go trademark. They're going to get sold out. Yeah, but we could have done that, Dave. <laughs> well, I don't know why. <laughs> if you're looking for like the good pay per views again, why no one else is trying to make Halloween Havoc a thing again? Halloween Havoc is I by far believe... the best one. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, WWE retains ownership of Halloween Havoc. They could break that one out if they so chose. Uh, of course, they don't want to. <laughs> now, before we get further into today's show, I do want to remind everyone that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You could check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can always email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, today we are joined by one of the earliest fans of our show who has created one of the most unique and fun wrestling podcasts out there. Uh, he is, uh, by many metrics, a much more successful podcaster than we are by this point. Uh, but we get to say that we knew him when it is Andy from the road home from wrestling. Uh, uh, before we actually hear from him, Andy, also known at Drucifer. Uh, usually when we talk about him on the show, we are using his Twitter handle. Uh, but please, uh, Andy, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Tim. I'm excited to be here, and I'm happy to announce that the Road Home from Wrestling has actually acquired uh, the rights to the name Beach Blast. And uh, <laughs> we're really excited about what we're going to be able to do when summer rolls around with that. And just so you know, it's at Drusifer Tweets. Uh, so that's that's very important. we got to get this stuff right, you know? That's very good. Good, good to know. Uh, you know, if any, if any podcasts... Uh, could stage their own independent wrestling event. I actually think you guys, like, that feels, like, attainable. I think you guys have the right connections. You know, at least you could do sort of a deal that, uh, like, GCW does with people where your names are all over it. It's maybe someone else technically is the promoter. But, you know, uh, Road Home from Wrestling presents uh, this event. I, I feel like that's definitely... That we should. I, I'm putting that idea in your head. We we need to see that in 2020. Well, it's something that's been brought up to me many, many times. Uh, as you said, we, uh, you know, if, if you don't know anything about our show, we're the Road Home from Wrestling podcast. We, uh, you know, basically the gimmick of our show is that we go to independent wrestling events in the Midwest area and then uh, review them in a comedic fashion on the road home from the show. We actually record in the car, which is very time uh, efficient. You know, it's, uh, it's actually pretty awesome because we can get things up almost immediately right after a show. And uh, everybody really likes the input. So because of that, we've developed a lot of relationships with promoters and, you know, and wrestlers and all kinds of people. And sometimes we even have wrestlers in the car with us. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And as I said, that idea has been brought up many times. But I would uh, counter that idea with a little touche here. And that is that here's a much better way that if this ever does happen, here's how it's going to happen. We're going to buy a Road Home from Wrestling title. And then people can defend that at their shows. And, you know, it's kind of like we do have a gimmick where the ownership of the podcast gets passed around uh you know and defended in matches and if there's a belt with that that would be pretty cool and in that way i don't have to actually pay wrestlers or anything like that or actually be involved in promoting a show which is very difficult and uh, <laughs> and and not anything i'm interested in doing but uh but that belt thing that could happen here at some point in 2020 well and uh, ownership of the road home from wrestling podcast that is a a launching pad to superstardom because uh, the earliest person I can remember, uh, other than you guys who you know are the shoot owners of that title, but the earliest gimmick owner of the Road Home Wrestling that I know of uh, was a pre-fame MJF. That's right. Um, one of the places that we went to quite a bit at the beginning of the show was a place called Rockstar Pro in Dayton, Ohio. At the time, it was very, very populated with some big names now, like uh, guys like the Rascals, you know, OVE, people like that all came from that area. So we got to see all those wrestlers kind of start from the beginning. And a good chunk of like the AEW roster and people like that have all come through there. One of the guys that came through all the time was Maxwell Jacob uh, Feinstein at the time, actually. Uh, and then he changed his name to Friedman. And if you go back in the archives, you can find a great interview with him. I mean, two and a half years ago at this t at this point where he, he does a, you know, kind of a, a takeover of the show and he claims that now he owns it. So we just went along with it, said, sure, you're the owner now. And then that ownership has been defended and passed back and forth. Various, uh, wrestlers have owned it you know aaron williams a big name out here in this uh the midwest area one of our favorites lexus montez the shovel boys atm and uh brandon taggart who is on evolve a lot of people like that have, have owned the podcast it's been a really fun time to kind of you know just have something fun to do that's not just your normal stuff with a podcast 
Well, uh, you definitely, everyone should check out uh, The Road Home from Wrestling. It's it's a great podcast. They are, uh, if, if uh, our biggest weakness is that we never put out content and we go uh, months without releasing a new episode, uh, you will love the the steady rainfall, the pitter-patter of episodes that come from <laughs> The Road Home from Wrestling. We are prolific. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, so we, as, uh, if you're someone who listens to this podcast regularly, you're not, you're not someone five years from now binging all of our episodes. Uh, if you're someone that's actually uh, a current listener, you've probably noticed that we've taken a few months off. Uh, we were having some technical issues. I won't, I won't bore everyone with the details and, uh, kind of put me in a funk, uh, where I was not very motivated to podcast, but, uh, we are back. We are trying a new setup. We're trying a few different things. Uh, but I just wanted to extend a special thank you to you, Andy, cause you recorded, uh, we did about a half hour of this episode, uh, <laughs> What, three or four months ago uh before everything kind of went to shit and i just was like you guys i i can't do this right now i'm having too many problems uh so just thank you for coming back and and watching this nitro again so that it was somewhat fresh in your mind and we could discuss it tonight people say this all the time it's a cliche but i actually mean it it is literally my pleasure um you guys were a, a massive inspiration to me to do a, a podcast you know i wanted to do something different obviously my show is much different than yours but you guys i've been listening to you since the very beginning i love your show you guys are tremendous individuals you've both been on my show as well you know and i'm really happy to you know come by and return the favor this is a big exciting thing for me well, uh, thank you. Now, uh, why don't you and Dave and I jump in our DeLorean because we are headed back to Monday, December 9th, 1996, where we are coming to you live from the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina, in front of 6,382 fans who paid a total gate of $73,308. This is the 65th episode of WCW Monday Nitro and one of three remaining episodes before the Starcade pay-per-view. Uh, just to recap kind of the biggest angle, and, and we're certainly going to talk about a lot tonight, uh, but because we've taken a little bit of time off, just a, a refresher that the thing that we're really building towards the focus of Starcade certainly is on Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the WCW champion, the NWO champion, as he's christened himself, and Rowdy Roddy Piper, who uh, has shown up to sort of challenge uh, Hogan and the NWO, but has really stressed the entire time that he's a, he's a man alone. He He's not a part of WCW. He wants no part of these uh, faction feuds. He is just a man who wants to kick Hogan's ass and a man who loves to fight. So that is that's what we're building towards. And uh, I think we'll we'll see this this episode really hangs upon uh, continuing that build. Tony welcomes us to the world's number one wrestling show, and he is barely through his introductions before bagpipes and snare drums signal the arrival of Roddy Piper. After the pro-NWO crowds that we've seen the last couple Nitros, WCW is taking no chances here as Roddy comes out wearing a Carolina Panthers t-shirt <laughs> under his signature leather jacket. Shivani mentions that just yesterday, the Panthers clinched a surprising playoff berth. Uh, we've talked about that before on the show, that they were really not projected to do that great this season, but they have, in fact, done very well, and they just uh, yesterday beat the 49ers, clinched a playoff spot. So right now, the city of Charlotte is very much about their boys in teal, uh, one of whom we're going to see later on in the show. Larry Zabisco points over Piper as one of the endangered species of, quote-unquote, real men. 
Piper gets a live mic and immediately kisses up to the crowd, declaring that it's nice to be home. It's nice. It's nice to be home. You know, I know I said this before, but I used to live at the Tuckasegee Days Inn on 77 before it was pretty. <laughs> I got a rap sheet longer than Highway 77. I've done more things wrong in my life, <laughs> and half of them right here, and you still cheer for me? <laughs> I think last time, last time you folks saw me, uh, a whole bunch of big guys, NWO and stuff, pounding on my leg. <laughs> now what do you want me to do? folks some stuff that nobody would tell you. <laughs> First of all, on December 29th, they want me to fight Hogan in Nashville, Tennessee. I must tell you, I got six kids. <laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> I gotta win this fight. <laughs> I've got a choice. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> you know. You know, when they say being ashamed of things, and I, I'd, like, I'd like you to hear this. When they say being ashamed of things, I, I have a couple of things in my career I, I am ashamed of. I had my. I think it was my seven-year-old kid. I'm not sure which one. Uh, anyway, he had saw the NWO written on my leg, and he said to me, he says, he says, Daddy, you know, Hulk Hogan's younger than you, and you only got one leg. Maybe you shouldn't go out and fight him, you know? <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to be ashamed because, I, because as Hogan put it, I'm a gimp. Didn't seem to stop Bo Jackson. <laughs> One time in my career, the most shameful thing that I ever done, and I'll never do it again, and you'll understand why in a second, is I boxed Mr. T in a boxing match at a Nassau Coliseum, and they wanted me to take a dive for him. And I said, I don't take dives and I don't do windows. So they made me, and who they are is somebody you would never guess, none of the obvious. They made me put my hands in the boxing gloves, and they made me curl up my fist, and then they made the rest of the boxing glove come around so I wouldn't hurt the poor little actor. <laughs> 
So now I've vented it. I owe you all $100 for the couch. It's out. It's the most shameful thing I've ever done. And I'll be damned if I'm taking a dive for anybody at any time at anywhere. Oh, there's a guy there. <laughs> there's a guy there. Just a second. Can you get a shot of that gentleman said, this is NWO country? I have nothing. I have nothing against the NWO. I am not with the WCW. I am not with the NWO. I'm Roddy Piper. I will tell you this though, just point of interest. I saw a promo the NWO did, and they had six of them in a room, right? They're all dressed in leathers, they're drinking Dom Perignon, not one woman. So you keep putting that sign up, brother, because we know exactly where you're coming from. You. <laughs> I am sick and tired of hearing about Hogan, who, let's face it, Hogan is Hulk Hogan. He has been in the lead for years. He is a man to contend with. He truly is a superstar. And I'm not taking this fight lightly. So what I figure, I know he's in the building. Let's just have it now. Oh my! He's calling him out! The Panthers! They're underdogs! From what I understand, I'm coming in the Evander Holyfield of this fight! Bring him on out! Because what doesn't kill me makes me stronger and I'm feeling awful powerful! He says that he used to live at the Tuskegee Days Inn on Route 77 before it was pretty. Uh, he does not pronounce Tuskegee correctly, though, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure how much time he spent there. Yeah, he claims there's a lot of places that are home to him. Yes. I, I feel I feel like that every other week he could, he could end up being somewhere that's relatively close to some place that he might have lived for a bit. Well, as a Canadian who has billed his entire career from Glasgow, I suppose, like, at that point, just anywhere is your home. Why not? Who cares? <laughs> right. Who's going to call you on it? When you're a real man, anywhere you're at is home. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Piper says that he's got a rap sheet longer than the aforementioned Highway 77 and looks humble as he bashfully says, in spite of that rap sheet, the people still cheer for him, which they do on cue. <laughs> mm -hmm. He is really doing a, an effective job of doing this kind of aw shucks puppy dog thing. Uh, that the crowd is, uh, in fairness, uh, we might roll our eyes a bit at it, uh, but the crowd is completely into it. Well, I mean, it's it's a good way to at least start off a promo by getting the, the crowd on your side, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the theme of tonight is pandering to the crowd, <laughs> as well as, you know, making sure that everybody loves Rowdy Roddy Piper. 
and I love Roddy Piper. I think he's a tremendous promo. It's just when he starts to get into the craziness where the things just don't make any sense and nothing's connecting, I just start to listen to the tone of his voice and not the words anymore, and I react that way. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. he's, he's getting excited. Okay, must be something good, you know? Piper says the last time we saw him, the NWO was pounding on his leg. To prove that it was no big deal, Piper hops around the ring in a circle on his surgically repaired hip. Piper says that he's now going to tell us things that nobody else would, starting with the fact that on December 29th, WCW wants him to fight Hogan in Nashville. Who doesn't, now, who doesn't want to tell us that? <laughs> I, I mean, we watched a contract signing on this very program uh, just a few weeks back, maybe even last week, and my memory is... Uh, not so fresh on that, but like, yeah, that's not a secret. That's, <laughs> I hope that he doesn't think that's a secret. And I can't, He's, I can't remember. Is this being hyped up as the biggest match of the? Is it the decade or is it the century? The decade. The decade. It is the decade. Okay, that's a little bit more reasonable. <laughs> Piper says that he has six kids and he has to win this fight. Uh, Hogan sucks. Chant breaks out and Piper laughs and drinks it in. Piper says that there's a couple things in his career that he's ashamed of. One is that his seven-year-old son, at least he thinks that's which kid of his it was, saw the spray paint on his leg by the NWO and pointed out that Hogan is younger than Piper, and Piper only has one leg, so maybe Roddy shouldn't fight him. Piper says that he's apparently supposed to be ashamed of, as Hogan put it, being a gimp. Piper says that it doesn't... Piper says that being a gimp didn't seem to stop Bo Jackson. Now, <laughs> Bo Jackson, uh, of course, played baseball and football. Very good at both. He famously dislocated his hip in a 1991 football playoff game, which was his very last game as within a month he had been diagnosed with a vascular necrosis of his hip joint, meaning that the bone tissue in his hip was actually dying due to a lack of blood supply. Uh, he was completely out of football because of his hip after only four seasons. He did continue to play baseball coming back later that year uh, before going out for having hip replacement surgery. Uh, the same surgery that Piper had to have caused him to miss all of the 1992 season, about half of 93. He came back in 94, uh, but when the ML, but when the MLB player strike cut the season short, Jackson decided to retire at 32 years old after just eight major league seasons. So I personally would say that Bo Jackson is famous for three things in some order. One is being a two-sport athlete. Uh-huh. Two is the Bo Knows marketing campaign that he did with Nike. Gotcha. And three was having his career ended because he was a gimp. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally one of the three things most known about him. Piper says the most shameful thing that he's ever done is when he faced Mr. T in a boxing match. Now, he doesn't say at WrestleMania 2, but that's what it was. And Piper claims that they wanted him to take a dive. Uh, it's He's really strange about this because he says that you would be surprised at who they are. So it's like, is he saying it wasn't Vince McMahon, but who else would it be then? That part really confused me. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, I just thought that maybe people on on Mr. T's side, like his his like the machine behind Mr. T was probably like, yeah, we would prefer if Mr. T definitely won that fight. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because Mr. T has made a few appearances in WCW as well. One famously where he fought Kelvin Sullivan and hilariously his uh, 
you know, jacket basically that he was wearing just kind of handcuffed him for most of the match. So, you know, I'd like to talk to Kevin Sullivan and find out from him, you know, did they make you tape your fist too? Or what, I mean, what, what was going on there? <laughs> yeah. Piper then, the, the other thing that confuses me is the method in which they tried to get, uh, he says they like manipulate, they didn't. So when he refused to take a dive, they manipulated his gloves by, like, taping them in a certain way so that his punches wouldn't hurt Mr. T as much. Uh, so I guess he's he's saying, I didn't take a dive, but they did manipulate the gloves so that Mr. T wouldn't get hurt. And uh, Piper is ashamed of the fact that he allowed them to do that, <laughs> essentially. In a worked boxing match. <laughs> Everything's real, but it's so fake, you know? Just never lived it down. <laughs> Piper gives us a, a rare glimpse into his shoot uh, perspective on wrestling as he says that he's damned if he's ever going to take a dive for anyone anywhere. Piper then asks the production for a shot of a fan's NWO country sign. Uh, Piper says that he has nothing against the NWO and reiterates that he's not WCW. He's just Roddy Piper. He does feel compelled to point out, though, that the New World Order all hang out together in leather, drinking champagne with no women around, so they, and by proxy the guy with the sign, are gay. <laughs> Got him. Got him. <laughs> really zinged him. Yeah. Well, the uh, you know, in the 90s, it's very difficult to locate a real man. That's all there is to it. And, and so we're glad that Roddy Piper's here to show us all what that is. <laughs> It's weird. Uh, that seems to be everyone's go-to when you're feuding with a guy from the clique in this part of the 90s. Like, Bret Hart was like, well, the thing about them is you think they're cool, but they're all super gay. Piper's out here calling them gay. That's like a really common thing is to be like, well, if the clique are such good friends with each other, that's that's because they're gay. Because <laughs> that's the only reason that men would hang out with men, right? Well, the Hart family. Gay. Obviously, right? <laughs> Piper is sick and tired of hearing about Hogan, but he's not taking the fight lightly. Piper doesn't want to wait for the 29th, though. He wants to fight now. He says that he's an underdog, just like those Carolina Panthers. <laughs> and he wants Hogan out. But even as he's calling out Hogan, Piper's own music is playing, and he gathers his jacket and heads to the back. So I guess he's not too strict about the get, get out here so we can fight right now thing. Well, the thing is, he signed a contract that... That he's indicated, like, financially he needs his fight, you know, to yeah. support all of his kids. So why would he fight him on Nitro? He's not getting paid for that one. <laughs> Maybe he's endangering this, like, lucrative contract for Starcade by fighting him now. I don't think he's really, he's not thinking straight when it comes to the financial part of things. <laughs> well, Dave, <laughs> he's a real man. This is what a real man does. Come on. <laughs> real men, Real men don't support their kids. <laughs> i think uh you know i think he basically had bullet points and what he was supposed to say was he's challenging hogan to come fight him tonight but his the way he ended up delivering it sounded like he meant right now when that was clearly not the plan right uh, so we will see the rowdy one a couple times later on in the show um one of the last things that he says before his promo ends is um what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and I'm feeling awfully powerful right now. And I, I, just, oh, I really yeah. like that line. I thought it was really well done. That is a good line. Um, that one you said earlier, too, where he's like, I'm not with the WCW, I'm not with the NWO, I'm Roddy Piper. 
Um, I also really like that line. I, I like it. it. It's almost kind of a threat in itself where it's like now, now it's three sides you have to deal with. And one of them is me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I overall, I liked this promo. I thought it dipped into Piper crazy weirdness a little bit, but overall I thought his message was fairly clear. Um, even if at times the message was a little reductive, 1996, you guys are gay. Uh, but at least we know at least, and this is, I mean, sometimes in WCW and sometimes with Roddy Piper, this is, uh, this is unfortunately saying something, but at least we know who he's fighting and why and when, you know, um, those things were all hit. So the, the major things that he needed to get over, I think he got over and, uh, I was satisfied with it. And like you mentioned, the crowd ate this up. Right. Tony Schiavone declares Piper a real man's man, and Larry says, yeah, there aren't many of us left. Now, it's possible, now maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it's possible that this is a shot at the WWF and Shawn Michaels, as uh, HBK and Vince have responded to a lot of men booing Shawn lately by occasionally saying in promos and on commentary that Shawn is a real man's man. Like, they keep trying to make a big deal that Shawn Michaels is actually... you He's flamboyant, but he's a man's man. So uh, it is possible that they're kind of tweaking that by, by comp- contrasting that to Roddy Piper. Speaking of a true man's man, out next comes me and Mike Penis. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He saunters to the ring, and he's not even close to it before the music for M. Wall Street plays, or Mr. Wall Street, or whatever the hell. The Chiron this week actually says M. Wall Street, but Tony keeps calling him Mr., so I think he's on the fourth name of his incredibly dumb gimmick. I don't think anyone really cares enough to know for sure. It doesn't really <laughs> It doesn't really matter. As long as you get that Wall Street part out, I think you're covered. in WCW (laughs) and I said to myself Tim do not spend the next 15 minutes tabulating their win-loss records and then I immediately spent the next 15 minutes tabulating their win-loss records Uh (laughs) Mike Enos is 10 21 and 1 for all matches and 2 6 and 1 in singles action those are both losing records (laughs) Mr. Wall Street is 19 and 31 I feel like all those are losing records and not good win-loss records. <laughs> There's certainly, if this were a shoot sport, these are not two guys that you would regard highly. They'd be very low on that on that all the like power rankings. <laughs> not even listed probably, since I think they only do like top five. <laughs> Mark Curtis calls for the bell, and we are off to this barn burner of an opening matchup. They lock up, and Wall Street does a fireman's carry takeover. Tony says that later we're going to have cruiserweight title defended a semifinal in the U S title tournament an interview with Ric Flair. Plus some of the Carolina Panthers are in the building tonight. Hmm. Penis does an arm drag and he and wall street lock up again. Ted DiBiase walks out to booze as penis does a shoulder tackle, does a shoulder tackle and an elbow drop on wall street. Penis makes the thumb and finger rubbing together motion. Uh, so you know that he likes money. Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> he then does a power slam and looks at DiBiase and points at himself like, you're out here for me, right? DiBiase has what appears to be a contract in his hand, and Enos mimes signing and then the money again. 
<laughs> he's really playing to the back row with some of this pantomiming right. here. <laughs> this distraction allows Wall Street to nail him from behind and hit his finisher, a Samoan drop he calls the stock market crash, and Michael Wall Street, M. Wall Street, uh, Steve Wall Street, VK Wall Street, whatever the fuck you want to call him, Urban wins R. this one. Wall Street. <laughs> he wins in under two minutes. I... <laughs> I just I think it's just really funny that that Mike Enos is wrestling M Wall Street, knowing his history with Ted DiBiase, but also has the optimism that he's coming out for him. <laughs> yeah, these guys were tag team champions together, but DiBiase's probably here for me and my fantastic win loss record. Oh right. <laughs> Well, I just want to mention that, you know, something to put out there that maybe you guys would like, too, is that on our show, when a white person does a Samoan drop, we call it a Caucasian letdown. Oh. <laughs> well, when it's being performed by Mike Rotunda, it certainly is a letdown. There you go. See? <laughs> so this is a, it's a match. It's a match like for the for the for the angle makes sense. But I don't see. Uh, from like the WCW uh, committee, like wh- why did they book this match though? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't follow the reasoning behind that. Besides, apparently showcasing these two wrestlers with fantastic win loss records. Yeah, didn't you hear? They don't, they've won a lot of matches. <laughs> that's, that's why. Why would this be your opening match on a show if you were? genuinely interested in people watching your program we we need a hot match to start all right who we got back here mike enos and wall street this is the head-to-head hour two no hour two is the head-to-head hour isn't it no no hour one is the head-to-head hour so this is this is up against raw this is i i'm a fan on the fence i i kind of flip around let's see what raw's got on uh let's see what nitro has oh they've got wall street versus mike enos <laughs> Well, I mean, they they made sure it's like, Ted, you have to get out there as soon as possible. (laughs) We're not going to give him more than like 30 seconds. DiBiase hands the contract to his old Money, Inc. partner, and Wall Street grins and leaves the ring as DiBiase laps his way up the aisle. Now, if... (laughs) That's right. Uh, An important plot point recently on Nitro is that everyone had 30 days in which to switch their contracts from WCW to NWO contracts. So if every single person on the roster can just switch their contract, and indeed Eric Bischoff has ordered them to switch their contracts to NWO contracts, what the fuck was the point of this? They needed a hot match to start Nitro. <laughs> That's what it was. And and also it's like, in theory, the show would have started with this match, right? I mean, unless... Because yeah. I, I don't imagine the booking committee is like, Okay, we're gonna plan that Piper's gonna come out and do something crazy first. Then we'll get to our first match. Well, it's just so nuts to be like, okay, everyone has to join the NWO. Okay, Enos. Oh wait, no. Everyone has to join the NWO. Okay, uh, Wall Street, you're in. Enos, you also still have to join. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll get to you in a moment. <laughs> just not yet. Not yet, you know. You gotta, you you really want to work that a little bit. Make sure that the fans start to, you know, salivate a little bit. Oh, Mike Enos might join the NWO. <laughs> I mean, they're teasing it here. Maybe they'll knock that down later. We'll find out, I guess. 
after a break, we see the crowd who have far more Four Horsemen hand signs and t-shirts than they do anything for the NWO. Uh, we are definitely still in the stronghold of Horseman country here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Next, they roll a clip that was shown on Saturday night two days ago. It shows woman and Chris Benoit eating at a completely empty restaurant with the world's most fake brick wall. <laughs> Welcome back live to Pasadena Crowd on hand at the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina for Monday Nitro Live. Ladies and gentlemen, this past Saturday, I had a chance to talk to the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and confronted him with a video. Take a look at what happened to the video and his reaction to what happened, if you will. Hey, Kevin. Obviously, none of my mother's. And obviously, I'm not in the Keys. I'm definitely not in the Bahamas, honey. And I know you can't find me. I told you that when I was planning on leaving, you couldn't find me. I meant it. You can't find me. I really meant it in Baltimore when I said that uh, if you kicked him one more time, I meant it was over. I meant it. You don't hurt somebody this way and get away with it. This is not 1950. This is 1996. You know, women have rights, we can vote. You know, you get that cute little comment you tell the boys all the time in, in the bar, but uh, it's not funny. And I don't like it. This is 1996. I do what I want, when I want. <laughs> I have nothing to do with the NWO, do I, Chris? Sullivan, you talk about us making the same mistakes. I don't think I've made any mistake. You talk about kicking some sense into me. <laughs> to be talking like that, you obviously need a little sense kicked into yourself. Waiter. You talk about being the best chess player this game. Well, Sullivan, my bishop takes your queen. Checkmate. Woman says, hey, Kevin, obviously I'm not at my mother's, the Keys, or the Bahamas. This is uh, definitely the most explicit they've been about the true relationship between woman and Sullivan. I think she even calls him honey in there somewhere yeah so it is now in uh, very clear that uh and and more than just a relationship i think the way that she says like clearly i'm not at these vacation places i'm not at my mother's it, it definitely seems to i think imply marriage a lot more than than has ever been done before mm-hmm. she says that she told kevin in baltimore that if he kicked benoit one more time they were finally finished but kevin did and that's it and she meant it when she told him that once she left he'd never find her I mean, they both work for WCW and go to the same arenas almost every week, so I bet he can find her, but I guess we'll see. (laughs) Woman says that you can't hurt her like this because it's not 1950. It's 1996, and now women have rights, and they can vote. Now, I get her point, but I'd like to point out that women could definitely vote in 1950. (laughs) I'm no historian... (laughs) <laughs> I, I know what she was going for there, but it just, yeah, maybe wanted to go back to the drawing board on that one. <laughs> Her part of this is not very good, but on the other side, there is some good stuff here. 
it's a little weird because uh, there's in this particular storyline, I don't know how clear cut it is who is the face and who is the heel. Certainly the horsemen are faces, but woman has always been like kind of up to heel antics. Sullivan has always been a heel, but in this angle, he is uh, sort of the cucked husband who has not necessarily done anything wrong other than be like, please stop fucking my wife. (laughs) (laughs) So if you consider that she is, if not the heel, that sort of everyone in this angle is, is living in a sort of gray area. Mm -hmm. This, this promo feels like a heel promo. So it's a little off putting to me that like what is ostensibly a heel promo includes a woman being like, yeah, it's 1996. I have women's liberation now. And that's like, that's sort of being positioned as like a heelish idea that women don't have to just listen to their husbands anymore. (laughs) Uh, This is a pro wrestling show in the 90s. That's that's a fact. That's what you're going to see in pro wrestling shows in the 90s. That's true. I mean, her part wasn't that good, but she did give like the, that sassy finger snapping, which I really liked. If you if you noticed that <laughs> yes. at all, uh, I'm a massive fan of Nancy Benoit. I think her mm-hmm. ringside, like her, is a ringside valet. She is one of the best ringside valets of all time, and uh, I I think that she looks so evil, and uh, I love it. I think she is a tremendous uh, addition to any pro wrestler as a side piece or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, she's not the best promo in the world, but man, you know, the looks that she gives Chris during this, I mean, this is good stuff. There's a little bit of good stuff in here, and when Chris starts talking, we get some great stuff, too. Yeah, she does, uh, going back to something you just said, she does have some of the best facial expressions, I think, of any manager, valet, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so let's see. Sullivan, uh, Nancy says that she does not like some comment that Sullivan always makes at the bar to the boys. She does not specify what that is, so I'm not sure why she mentioned it. Uh, <laughs> but he knows what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why. Woman says that she does what she wants when she wants. Then she says, quote, and I have nothing to do with the NWO, do I, Chris? Which... I didn't get that because no one has ever accused her of having anything to do with the NWO. <laughs> I just making it clear. I, I think you know? I think that's kind of what you were suggesting because it's like um, it's hard to tell if they're heels or not. And in recent weeks, I, I feel like it, that's kind of like a, a a fallback option to just remind people. I mean, I might be doing bad things, but just so you know, that doesn't mean I'm an NWO member. <laughs> sure. It, that feels like a kind of a way just to be like, okay, just. Just so you're aware, I'm not like a full on heel, pretty much. Benoit does not address the question at all. Uh, instead, he says that in spite of Sullivan always saying that he and uh, that the Crippler and the Taskmaster are alike and that they are making the same mistakes, Benoit doesn't believe that he's made any mistakes. He says Kevin talks about being the best chess player in the game, but well, Benoit's bishop just took Sullivan's queen. And oh, that is awesome. A, I love oh, that. That's a great line. It's a little dirty uh, calling your dick a bishop, but it's it's still good. <laughs> that's definitely my favorite part. And then Kevin Sullivan's non-reaction to this is also uh, pretty great. <laughs> I, I I think it's it has to be Benoit's like most memorable like line he's delivered. He did, he did deliver as a wrestler, as far as I know. I mean that's always been one that's like resonated with me for a long time. I just I just I guess I don't have a good understanding 
if this is considered like a very like iconic sort of like line in a promo or not. I just always had the sense that it was, but I have no idea. It should be. I mean, it's great. Uh, he follows that up, of course, with if you're talking chess, you've, of course, got to end with a good checkmate. Yeah. And then they both take big old gulps of red wine. <laughs> uh, we then see we so this is still footage from Saturday night. We see the taskmaster watching the video. Uh, he looks very shaken up and he flees an interview. He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. Uh, I forget if it was he, uh, um, Shivani or it was Shivani that was conducting it on Saturday night. It was okay. Yeah, because he um, because he kind of refers to like he was the guy that like that. Oh yes, yeah, that comes up later in the yep. show. You're right. Yep. Okay, so next the Dungeon of Doom music plays and out comes Hugh Morris. Tony says that right now Chris Benoit and many of WCW stars are touring Germany, and that woman is there with Chris Benoit. This is true, and Benoit would have four matches along that tour, losing to Eddie Guerrero twice, beating him once, and finishing up with a disqualification loss to Marcus Bagwell. Other guys on that tour who will not be on Nitro this week include The Booty Man, Disco Inferno, Glacier, Mortis, Bagwell, Riggs, Public Enemy, Six, Bubba, uh, who's Bubba? Why do I? Oh, Big Bubba, of course. Uh, Alex Wright, Lex Luger, and Harlem Heat. Mortis? Yes, he has not debuted yet, but he is uh he's like been in dark matches and he's part of WCW's tour of Germany. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know that he comes in um as part of like the whole glacier thing, but I didn't realize it was this early. I thought it wasn't until like next spring. Yeah, I you know, it could be something where I because I we know with uh, a lot of the stuff with Glacier, they had planned to do it earlier and then just other priorities took hold. Mm-hmm. So he is with the company a lot longer uh, before his debut than probably most people realize. Okay. Do, do we know, is he like, is that, is he as the gimmick of Mortis? Uh, I believe so, because when I looked at the results of that tour, it was listed as Mortis, but okay. I don't know if that's like um, Pro Fight DB or Cage Match or wherever I got it from. It may be that it was just that he was credited as Chris Canyon and they've mistakenly listed as Mortis. So I can't be sure, I guess is my answer. Oh, he's not like rocking Chris Canyon or anything like that. <laughs> it, it could be, but they have it. They have it listed as Mortis. Okay. The Dungeon of Doom music plays and out comes Hugh Morris. Morris promises to turn our frowns upside down as he goes to the ring. Hmm. His opponent is the Renegade who is being seconded tonight by Joe Gomez. And here to call all the action is our Ohio Bureau Chief, Andy. That's right. Uh, Hugh Morris versus the Renegade with Joe Gomez. First off, we have Morris kicks at Gomez, who's on the outside of the ring as the bell rings. Uh, Morris and Renegade lock up, with the Renegade quickly winning the battle by slamming Morris, who's immediately begging off into the corner. They lock up again, with Morris grabbing a headlock. Renegade pushes Morris back into the ropes, but Hugh maintains control momentarily. Renegade reverses the headlock into a hammer lock, which Morris gets out of by elbowing Renegade in his big, dumb head. <laughs> Let's see here. They run the ropes briefly until Morris hits a poorly timed spinning heel kick and taunts Joe Gomez because fuck Joe Gomez. <laughs> I think we could all live by the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> As Morris turns around, Renegade hits a small package, but uh, Morris kicks out, 
Morris makes him pay by hitting a sloppy clothesline. He taunts Gomez again, signifying that the heat section of this match has begun. Morris starts working over Renegade, uh, Renegade's back with clubbing blows and back rakes. Morris slaps on a bear hug, letting the world know that he is a submission specialist. <laughs> Renegade reverses the bear hug with a bear hug of his own, and the crowd chants, Bear Hug City! Bear Hug City! <laughs> I remember that. Mor- <laughs> yes, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Morris bites Renegade to escape the bear hug, hits the ropes, and walks right into a power slam, which scores Renegade a two count. Uh, this leads to a poor uh, to poor Renegade's only hope spot. Uh, Morris stands there and lets Renegade punch him twice, then bumps on the third one. Uh, Renegade does the baby face, come on, yeah, trying to get the crowd behind him. As Morris gets to his feet in the corner, the crowd doesn't care. Renegade hits a very weak handspring back elbow and goes for a bulldog, but Morris reverses the bulldog into a backdrop suplex. That's actually a pretty cool spot. I like that a lot. Morris hits the no laughing matter for the win immediately after and goes for another, but Joe Gomez pulls his best friend in the world, the Renegade. <laughs> Listen, Renegade is my best friend. <laughs> oh, man, are you, is, was that a Tommy Wiseau reference right there? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you kind of see at the end of this match um, that they're sort of a uh, I, I I'm not sure if it's a problem with the renegade, although there's I mean it it probably is at least partially, mm-hmm. but there also is a is sort of an issue in having Hugh Morris a heel have a moonsault, a very impressive big man moonsault as his finisher, in that the crowd cheers for it because how are they not a big fat guy just did a moonsault, mm-hmm. so he immediately gets a pop for that. And then he goes for another one, and yeah, like you said, Gomez pulls him out of the way. The crowd wants to see a big fat guy do a moonsault, so now the baby faces have robbed the crowd of a chance to see a thing they want to see, so that only further like confuses who they're going to cheer for. Yeah. So people are definitely cheering Hugh Morris, and don't give a shit about the Renegade or Joe Gomez. They want these guys to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so there is. I I love seeing Morris hit the no laughing matter, but there's sort of an inherent problem in it, in that it naturally makes people want to cheer what he's doing. Well, I would I would counter that by saying that going for the second one was the heel move. You know what I mean? That's kind of how he turned it into something that would be bad. And I got to give Hugh Morris props on this because he, you know, this match isn't good. Don't get me wrong, but there's a couple good spots in it, and you can see what WC's doing here. WCW is doing here is they're trying to surround the Renegade with people that somewhat know what they're doing. So that way, you know, you can you can have Joe Gomez on the outside and kind of have a little play between him and Morris. So that way, that kills a little time, and that way, that's less time the Renegade is actually wrestling. I just I never understood from um, I, man. I think it's now even like a year since they did. The, the gimmick where, where Jimmy Hart like wiped off the R on the Renegade and kind yes. of took away his identity because they did that, I like, I felt like to get the dungeon over, but it, it was really like they had no like follow-up or anything for the Renegade, and now he's sort of trying to just return to being that character again. 
But without That's, he's, I don't know what he is now. He's just guy with a leather jacket. Yeah, he's hanging out with Joe Gomez. If you're hanging out with Joe Gomez, you're a motherfucking jobber. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but he's also hanging out with the the one guy in the roster that he looks the most similar to, <laughs> which is not is this not helping him? Birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> yeah, well, because yeah, they they had that foursome of losers. It was them. And uh, Alex Wright, and who was the um, oh the, the guy other that like NWO keep accusing of being on steroids? Um, oh, his name completely is Jim Powers. Right now. Yes, Jim Powers. Yes, Jim Powers. The, the, those are the, the original job squad. Th- those are the four that did like that that beefcake video yes. in in July. Yeah, <laughs> we we never <laughs> forgot that. Like we probably recorded that episode like ten years ago. <laughs> but it's still it's still etched in our memories. After the match, the Taskmaster makes his way down to the ring. Larry, who is a selfish asshole and also a coward, immediately <laughs> says to Tony, "Oh, he's coming over by you," as if they're not sitting a foot apart at the same table. <laughs> Just remember, he's an asshole. And a coward. <laughs> oh my goodness. The Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan is. Well, where is he going? I think he's coming here. He's coming, he's coming over by you. Hang on, hang on a second. I just want to talk to you. you, if, you if you want the people to hear you, get a microphone for him. Give him a phone. Let me talk to you. Okay, what? First of all, I just saw that video that you played Saturday night. Well, I'm. Let me tell you something. I know this is a rating game. You're trying to do everything to get every bit of ratings. That video wasn't sent to WCW. Who was it sent to, somebody? Well, it was sent to you, I mean. Me? Then why didn't you have the common courtesy and decency to ask me if you could show that? Listen, I'm only doing what I'm told out here. You're not only doing what you're told. You're a pawn. You're just trying to get ratings. First of all, I have a personal life. Do you realize I have to do things outside this ring? Okay, let me finish. Go ahead. I hear people talking about family. Well, I got somebody that that affected real bad. Shivani and Zabisco, you had nothing to do with it, but I know you take my side. Next time, you got something to show. I don't care about ratings. I have somebody to take care of. You give it to me, and I don't care where they are. Sullivan yells that he needs to talk to Tony, and Tony says if Sullivan wants the people to hear him, he's going to need a mic. (laughs) That was, I was going to say, that was the big heel move for Tony Schiavone tonight. (laughs) I was like, wait, wait, wait. Let's make sure everyone can hear this Kevin Sullivan promo. He, he's such a swarmy fuck in this whole thing, too, because he doesn't give a shit. Kevin Sullivan is threatening him in this whole thing, mm-hmm. and he just stands there like, well, I don't know. Are you going to get a mic? I don't care. <laughs> Sullivan has on uh, the Horseman shirt that's been kind of new over the past few weeks that's got all the current members on it. And he has used, like, electrical tape to put X's over the word horseman and another one over Benoit's face. Like, how dastardly and evil. Uh, He's possessed by jealousy and rage, so he's putting tape on his own (laughs) T-shirts. It's such a child. It's like, 
it's what a 14 year old would do when he gets dumped for another guy like it's ridiculous that he's done this i just i just imagine that he's backstage after he finishes up that tape and is just like nodding to himself like i've done something good today (laughs) this is good (laughs) sullivan is angry because they played that video from saturday night again uh understandably so he was probably pissed when they showed on saturday night right here they're just dragging it out again on nitro and he is absolutely furious that wcw would use a video that was sent to him directly as part of their ratings game tony says he's just doing what he's told but sullivan says no he's not he's a pawn but isn't a pawn someone with no control who does exactly what they're told (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i don't know what the distinction sullivan's going for there at all is you might as well just call him just call him a puppet while he's at it <laughs> what is tony being ordered to steal the taskmaster ta- taskmaster's mail yeah that I mean, part's never he... clear like okay so if if it was sent to sullivan how did wcw or tony or whoever how did they get it we never really find that question out just following orders Sullivan says that he has a personal life outside the ring and his family is being negatively impacted by all this stuff. Sullivan says that next time they have something like this, they need to give it to him instead, which is a perfectly reasonable request. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> After a commercial, Tony Giovanni throws it to a special video of Sting, bemoaning that the Stinger is no longer a hero for WCW. And this is a this is a good video to remind you exactly what decade we're in. <laughs> oh man, this music! Holy yeah. shit, this music is amazing. Well, now the WWE Network puts on some very generic music on here uh, because WCW used a licensed song on this video uh, for the original version, a hit off the Footloose soundtrack. Would you guys like to guess what song it might be? I'm just I'm just hearing the Footloose song now. Yeah, I want to hear. I want that video now with Footloose over it. <laughs> right. The song is "Holding Out for a Hero" by Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> okay. That, uh, okay. I need a hero. Yeah. That song rules. It's a great song. Uh, I think it's uh, like the climax of Shrek Two. I think it has that song <laughs> underscoring it, if I remember right. That is very confusing, though, because they're trying to say that maybe Sting isn't a hero, and then there's a song just going, he's a hero, look at him, he's a hero, yeah, you know? Well, it's a little confusing. Well, it's, I need a hero. So the song is like, I need a hero, is Sting going to step up and do it, I think, is is kind of the implication. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Now, the video is literally just black and white footage of Crow Sting with, like, weird 90s splashes of blue-green fake graffiti kind of, like, sprayed over it. Yeah. It's very weird. Uh, At least the originally aired version had a fucking kick-ass song, so this version just sucks. (laughs) Uh, On the original show, it was, like, a full five-minute video with the entire song, or at least, or that's what they were showing at the B and C shows, at least, because this was getting played on more. So the network version, and it, I, again, I'm not sure if, uh, how the original aired version played, but we only get a minute or two before we go to Gene Okerlund, who is in the aisle, where he brings out Carolina Panthers linebacker and surprisingly competent Great American Bash competitor, Kevin Green. All right, ladies and gentlemen, live here in Charlotte tonight, one of the great heroes of World Championship Wrestling and professional wrestling. Of course, his sting, but here is a man who is going to tear the roof down tonight. Number 91 for the Panthers, NFC, sack leader, Kevin Green. 
Kevin Green, back here in Charlotte, the home of the Panthers, World Championship Wrestling. Very quickly, an old friend or foe, Steve Mongo McMichael. Definitely foe. I want you to know that we're going to accomplish what we set out this year to accomplish. Kicking a lot of ass, and I'm coming after Mongo this offseason. It still burns in me how he turned his back on me, sold me out for a couple of bucks. It burns in me, and I will have my say. All right, Kevin, you've got to be delighted, absolutely elated, a 10-4 and four season. And I must say, the Panthers and Kevin Green are on a roll right now. I tell you what, I told everybody that we were going to surprise some people this year. And that's exactly what we did. And I reckon the 49ers know what I'm talking about right now. Talk to me. Kevin Green, you've had an opportunity to sit back and watch television. The NWO, WCW, what's your take on it? I think it's a bunch of crap, this NWO crap. And I want you to know, if I ever get a shot at Hulk Hogan, I'm going to take him down and I'm going to rename Hulk Hogan this Hollywood Hogan. And it's going to be choking Hogan. You know why? Why? He's going to be choking when he has my fist halfway down his throat. Kevin Green, Carolina Panthers. Tony, let's get back to you and Larry. Oh, my. Now, uh, longtime listeners and Nitro fans may remember that we have actually seen Kevin Green once after the Great American Bash, where he came out hunting for Mongo, who had, be- of course, betrayed him at the pay-per-view that night in order to form the latest iteration of the Four Horsemen. At the time, he teased a future four-on-four match of himself and three unnamed men against the Horsemen. He gets a very good reaction and says that Mongo is definitely still an enemy of his. He promises that the Panthers uh, have a plan this year still to kick a lot of ass, but in the offseason, he will be coming for Mongo as the betrayal still burns within him. So this is just just a reminder, like, oh, I'm going to get you. Yeah, because his point, as we'll see, is not to come out here and talk about Mongo, but I think because it's not 2019 WWE, they want to let you know that like they didn't forget about the their other stories. Yeah. They're like, hey, that's still important. We didn't forget about it. That's not what we're going to talk about right now, but like it's on our radar, guys. Don't worry. I, I actually kind of like that they checked in with him on Mongo, uh, seeing as that's not what like the crux of what he's really here to talk about. Gene sets... M- Green up for more bragging about the good season uh, for the Panthers and ask him about the NWO. Green says that the NWO is a bunch of crap. Although Bischoff mentioned just... (laughs) (laughs) Although I want to point out that Bischoff mentioned just last week that Kevin Green was spotted recently wearing an NWO t-shirt at like a practice or something. And we know he's a wrestling fan, so I bet he was walking around in an NWO shirt because he thinks it's cool. And then he got to Nitro that night, and they were like, you hate the NWO. And he was like, I see no problem there. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. He rebounds immediately after this, too, because he has got the crowd in a frenzy. I mean, Kevin Green, whether you like him or not, he is a fiery babyface in wrestling, and he's pretty good at it. Absolutely. And so... He comes out, he's got the crowd all whipped up, and he goes, you know, NWO is a bunch of crap, and half the crowd's like, wait, wait a second, I really like them. <laughs> and so so you hear, like, the, the volume of the crowd changes immediately, and you hear that kind of mixed, weird sound, and then and then he, like, rebounds immediately by, like, talking shit about Hulk Hogan, I think. Yeah, Green says that they're going to have to rename Hollywood Hogan Chokin' Hogan. <laughs> oh, as I he's going to be choking when he's got Kevin that. Green's fist down his throat. I love that. He is not going to recover from that one. (laughs) (laughs) 
with commercials, we're now a half hour into this program, and we've had four minutes of very average wrestling uh, with nary a star in sight. Yeah. I just I have that in my notes at this point. I wanted to point it out. We've had a, a few good promos and stuff, but we the wrestling has been virtually non-existent. This oh, buckle up. This uh, this show in general feels really quick and short. Like I sure. because. Uh, t- it's been a while since we watched it, so I rewatched the episode today, and I'm just not really kind of remembering everything that happens. And, it, and when it gets to the end, I'm like, "Oh, oh wait, that's it." <laughs> yeah, it has it has a weird feel to it. Like it doesn't really flow like a normal wrestling show would. And uh, also, I think that the other thing is, that, you know, as you said, Tim, in the original airing, you know, that one Sting promo was like 20 minutes long, you said. So, you know, that that video took a lot of the time up that we're missing on the WWE Network. It may have felt like 20 minutes, but uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of non-stars in the program tonight, out comes Jimmy Graffiti, who has bafflingly earned a cruiserweight title shot because of reasons. Well, probably his great win-loss record, I would assume. <laughs> Does he have the worst gear of anybody? It's really it's terrible. Just period. It's awful. I really hate the way... I mean, I like the way that they paint his fingers because he's a graffiti artist, but I hate the way that he comes to the ring holding his hands up to his face just because he's like, I spent all this time painting my damn fingers. Like, I'm making sure that people see them. <laughs> it's it's just so clear that like he's only holding them up to make sure we notice. It's just weird because he he seems like a public enemy knockoff, and public enemy is like in this company. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> out next comes the champ Dean Malenko. Tony says that WCW has been flooded with letters and calls, the most calls they've ever had, and it's all people asking how can they see the Starcade pay per view if they can't go to Nashville. <laughs> I love the idea that there's just thousands of people who can't figure out how to order a pay-per-view, so they're calling the goddamn yeah. WCW offices. Right. That rules. I, and I just like <laughs> I like the vague accomplishment of the most calls we've ever had. Right. Yes. <laughs> we've never had more calls, and the calls are about how do I order pay-per-view? I'm dumb. <laughs> I, I'm smart enough to find out how to call the WCW offices but dumb enough in which I can't order a pay-per-view. Malenko climbs into the ring, all business as usual, and we will turn this one over to our own spray paint Salieri, Dave Amantorp. I'll I'll just pretend I know what Salieri means and be like, oh, thank uh, you. He was the rival to Mozart in yeah. uh, the movie Amadeus. Oh. Yeah, he killed he killed Mozart, man. Oh, that did. In the movie Amadeus. <laughs> oh, so it was, so in kayfabe? Well, yeah, because yes. I think in real life they barely overlapped in terms of, like, their lifespan or something. It's like the movie's taking a lot of liberties with that aspect of the story. Okay, I can respect that. Okay, well, um, one thing I wanted to note before the match began is that Larry Zbysko said Starcade is going to be bigger than history, which is pretty darn big. That's huge. <laughs> it's as big as you can get. No wonder all those people are calling. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the most calls ever about the thing that's bigger than history. So the match itself begins with a series of reversals as the two wrestlers jockey for position and is eventually won by Graffiti when he grounds Malenko with a hammerlock. Malenko manages to return to his feet and gain the advantage with a short arm clothesline. We hit a commercial break as the two exchange blows. 
And when we return from break, they're still exchanging blows, which is one out by graffiti. In theory, they might have just been punching each other to death during the entire break, <laughs> which would have been awesome to see. <laughs> uh, at some point here, Larry Zabisco makes a pretty uh, a point that I like that um, that he was saying that graffiti needs to get Malenko to the mat in order to defeat him. But when you get onto the mat with Dean Malenko, you're in trouble. During the break, also, Sonny Ono arrived at ringside with his deadly camera, which distracts Malenko. <laughs> um, Zabisco says Ono was trying to distract Malenko with the quote-unquote flash cubes in his camera. Yes, he does indeed. He says, constant barrage of flash cubes. Yes. Um, a, a, a little bit of research I did... Um, told me that the Flash Cube was introduced back in 1965 and generally became irrelevant technology by the introduction of the Magic Cube in 1970. So he's talking about something that was been irrelevant for the last, like, 25 years. Sounds about right. Anyway, uh, Graffiti hits a side suplex on Malenko for a two-count. Uh, graffiti then hits a gut-run suplex for two, and at this point you can notice that Jimmy Graffiti is looking pretty gassed. <laughs> Malenko rallies back with headbutts to Graffiti's gut, then hits a much better looking side suplex for two. So we get we get comparisons, and one of them is far superior to the other. <laughs> Malenko hits a leg lariat to send Graffiti out of the ring, then misses with a baseball slide. It's kind of a weird moment because it, it it appears Malenko was prepared to hit that, and then when Graffiti just kind of steps out of the way. It's not really countering. He's just more like avoiding. And Malenko's kind of like left there hung out to dry before hitting, getting clotheslined. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, some, sometimes there's a little bit of like kind of weird chemistry between these two. Anyway, once we return to once we return to the ring, Malenko hits Graffiti with a superplex. We're off the ropes and Graffiti nails a crescent kick for two, and Jimmy <laughs> looks ready for a nap. <laughs> uh, just, they're just pushing him to the limit uh, Graffiti hits a power bomb, Then wanders around the ring for a bit Before rolling up Blink too. <laughs> his, his faculties he, he are He doesn't even play to the crowd He just he doesn't even play to the crowd He just wanders he around You're right <laughs> His faculties are not betraying him Because he's so dehydrated <laughs> uh, Malenko returns the favor with a power bomb, so of course we get a much better version of the move. Uh, this one is for a two count. Graffiti attempts a suplex, but once he lifts him up, Malenko counters with a small package for the quick and sudden pinfall victory. Uh, seemed like it, it was kind of supposed to be shown as a competitive match, but there was like the obvious issue with Graffiti not really having like the stamina and just generally the ability to keep up with Dean Malenko. But you could tell that Malenko was was trying his best to make Graffiti look good. Yeah, Graffiti is actually, I think, a decent worker. I agree that he was getting a little gassed on this one. But, like, Jimmy Del Rey, uh, kind of an underrated worker, I think. He did good work in Smoky Mountain and a little bit in, in the WWF. Um I don't think he's a cruiserweight. <laughs> um, yeah. He's got a big T-shirt kind of hiding what appears to be a gut. And and I think the gigolo aspect of gigolo Jimmy Del Rey was always that he was kind of a pudgy guy. That was sort of part of the joke of the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, I mean, it was at least some wrestling, uh, which we've barely had on the show. And really, over the last couple of weeks on Nitro, yeah. the wrestling hasn't been much. So, like, this was something at least. Uh, but I agree that he, he was not on the level of Malenko. And I think it was a bad idea to give him this much. The match shouldn't have been this long because if it's this long, he has to get some offense in mm-hmm. in order to keep it interesting. And he just does not belong trading you know this much offense with dean malenko malenko should have made much shorter work of a competitor of his caliber well one of the things too is that because because jimmy graffiti was gassed out right away um you know malenko kept beating him to spots so malenko would be there i mean like a good chunk of wrestling is just being where you're supposed to be right and so malenko would beat him to the spots and that's why you would get that kind of weird uh, chemistry, as Dave called it, or a timing and proximity issues, as I've heard you guys call that before. Um, you know, and but Jimmy did get up for the big moves. You know, he he was you know available and where he needed to be for those. It, I think this match just highlights how great Malenko is because he made Jimmy Graffiti look credible. Sure. Yeah, and I I was I wasn't saying that he was gassed in, in like that he is not like a good worker. I think that he was trying. He was trying his best to like keep up with Malenko and to he was just exerting himself a lot to to stay at Malenko's level. But he's just, I mean, you could say Graffiti is like an underrated worker, but he's not remotely at Malenko's level or his uh, conditioning. So, um, I, yeah, I didn't I didn't mean that as like him being a poor worker, but more of like oh sure he yeah. Just, yeah he he's he was trying to perform above his level, and you can kind of notice it. How dare you besmirch the name of Jimmy Graffiti. (laughs) Who I believe we've noticed is in this company because of being accused of rape or some god-awful thing. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I'm serious. That's like what what caused him to get kicked out of WWF. He should not have a job right now, probably. Well, Tim, it's well established now at this point that WCW is where the real men hang (laughs) out. Oh, God. So, just saying. Yeah, because I think, what, don't we have, like, two wrestlers that are engaged in, like, sex rings as well? Oh, yeah. Well, those, yeah, we had uh, Sean Casey and um, Hardbody Harrison. Yes. Who were both on that reason, Nitro. And interestingly enough, I actually, uh, after Tim had contacted me about Sean Casey and I gave you guys some information that I had on him, I I actually saw him at uh, at a show. Um, and gosh, it was not good. I think I sent Tim uh, a, a video of his hot yes, tag where sure he immediately did. like just botched a move, and it was hilarious. So uh, that video made the rounds, and uh, a lot of people got a good chuckle out of that one. <laughs> so. Well, I, I mean, I mean, maybe to his benefit is like there are fans out there that know who he is still. I mean, that's gotta count for something for him. I mean, I would have no idea that Jimmy that Sean Casey is even alive still. <laughs> he's he's done like a born again thing now and so oh okay. yeah exactly okay right. <laughs> after the match malenko shows off the belt to the camera for the benefit of sunny ono and ultimo dragon speaking of ono he is in the ring with gene okerland thank you very much tony uh, during the course of that match i couldn't help but notice sunny ono a man known more for his business acumen that is wrestling expertise coming to ringside to watch Dean Malenko and Jimmy Graffiti in action. You're no Herb Ritz, I must say that to you. Hey, don't flash that. 
Ultimo Dragon is going to be going against Dean Malenko for the cruiserweight title. Sonny Ono, you coming out with this camera. You do it week after week. You irritate people. I can't believe you do what you do. What do you mean I irritate someone? Hey, what? hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. What happened to that Japanese accent? Uh, my accent, all. My is, uh, uh, my you lost it there for a pal. You're some kind of a scam from a sushi bar. Are you putting me on? Hey, hey, let me tell you something. And let me tell you guys something. reason why I speak was a little accento with this little face. Accento? Come on, pal. Give us a break. All right, all right. I speak with a little accent with this face. You know why? Because this country is so great that if I speak with a little accent, you know what I get? I get free education. Maybe free housing. <laughs> Sometime, I understand you can even stay home and get free money in this country. Oh, what a great country this These is. These people here, they, they love you to death. The Sonny Ono, <laughs> Ultimo Dragon, Dean Malenko. Your thoughts, we're inside three weeks now. <laughs> Ultimo Dragon is eight belt champion. He's gonna destroy that wannabe Dean Malenko. He's got a belt in these. <laughs> you know what you can do with that camera? I'll tell you in just a second. Stay tuned. More Nitro coming up after this. Don't go away. Hey, 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 that you shouldn't be holding that. Please. Gene says that Ono is no Herb Ritz, and Ono annoys Okerlund by sending his flashbulb off in Gene's face. Uh, Herb Ritz is just a famous photographer of this era. That's about it. All right. Gene says that Ono irritates people, and Ono indignantly responds in his actual voice. What? Uh, normally, he puts on a much thicker, stereotypical Japanese accent. Gene mm-hmm. notices and immediately confronts him, and Ono goes back to his thicker, accented version. Gene calls Ono a scam from a sushi bar. So Ono again drops the act and says the reason he does this is because in America, if he speaks with a little bit of an accent and has uh, what he calls this face, which he means Asian, but it kind of sounds like he's calling himself cute. (laughs) He's like, with this face, I get whatever I want, but it's a race thing is what he's talking about. Well, he also calls his accent an accento. Mm -hmm. As if he's doing a, a Spanish accent or, you know, a Mexican right. accent, which is not correct at all. Yeah, I know some, I, I, I don't know a lot about the Japanese language. I do know sometimes it seems like they add O's onto words as a, like a, when they're changing like a, an English word into its Japanese version. I think sometimes you put a, a U or an O at the end. Um, but I, I'm I'm way out of my depth talking on that particular well, that's thing. De- when you're a Japanese wrestling announcer, you always add an O or an E or something like that so that you got something to, to yell real loud. <laughs> but I, I think that's what he's trying to say with the accento thing. I don't know. Uh, but he says that with his accent and with his face or his race, he gets a free education, free housing, and free money just for staying at home. Hmm. Now, I know this is the nightmare of conservatives that non-white people come to America and soak up all the benefits that are only supposed to be reserved for uh, like tax breaks for billionaires and shit. Right. But God, I don't want this kind of stuff in my wrestling. I really don't want like it sucks when storyline uses racist pandering for heat it sucks when, like, it goes this far into, like, just shitty, like, the worst of our politics, that the immigrants are coming here and taking this stuff for you. Uh, it was bad in 1996, and my God has it aged incredibly badly mm-hmm. when I think about how this stuff has, like, grown since 1996 and, like, what we're dealing with now. Uh, like, it just, this turned me off in such a big way. I was really, really uh, annoyed at the end of this promo. 
which is not to say that it wasn't delivered well. I think Ono has, uh, I think what he's doing on a like objective, just performance basis is fine. Mm-hmm. It's just like the content sucks and I hate it. Yeah. What do you, what did you guys think? I think pro wrestling should stay away from making political commentary, period. Right. It's, it's, I mean, I, in the, yeah, I struggle to say that because I think all art is inherently political to some degree. Um, I'm not going to, I mean, that's a whole thing for another thing, but I, I think that WWE and WCW wrestling as big and broad as it is, it is not the subtle vessel in which to like communicate good political thought. So like it's right. politics need to be like Kofi winning the championship without just going out of their way to be like, this is our first black champion. Like that is in, in essence, a political thing that happened, whether that's what you call it or not. Mm-hmm. But like when you're getting into, when you're basing storylines around controversial political topics, that's when I think it just, it's a shit idea. And it almost, it's always going to burn you with somebody, right? And, uh, like, there's just no point in alienating right. too much of your audience. And because, like, the the other thing is that even if it is a, like, a heel deli- delivering it for the intention of getting heat, it's coming, it's a thought that's coming from someone else that probably believes these things, too. Sure. Um, but also, it's, I, and that it is a very complicated, like, topic to get into because then there's a whole, like, if you don't have you don't mention politics and that's kind of like that the stick to sports sort of thing yes yeah that's sort of what i was political by not mentioning political things yes um i i mean i don't know like i i i don't know like i i feel like sunny ono as a character could get over very well without having to bring those sort of things up or just him being a scam artist like they, sure. they could make him like that where he just kind of comes across as like the proverbial like used car salesman and he's just faking the accent. You could just leave it at that too. You didn't have to bring up like these like broad reasons why he's faking an accent. Yeah. Uh, ono promises that Ultimo Dragon will destroy that wannabe Dean Malenko. He says that Malenko has belt envy, <laughs> which I like <laughs> right. given, of course, the dragon is right. dragging around the J crown title right now. <laughs> And Gene promises to show him what he can do with that camera in just a second. Ono waves an American flag in Gene's face, and Gene tells him he shouldn't be holding that, and I want to die as we go to commercial. <laughs> right. Um, I, did, I did like the idea, like the visual, that he just reached into his coat and pulled out an American flag, though. <laughs> yeah, that is. He has, it, he has it at the ready at all times. <laughs> Now, if you're curious as to Ono's actual backstory, he was born in Japan in 1962, but was living in Iowa by the 1970s. He met Eric Bischoff through karate, and in 1985, he brought Eric an idea he had for a children's game, where the kids would wear Velcro vests and throw Velcro ninja stars at each other. Uh, So that's the game. Eric and Ono called it Ninja Star Wars. (laughs) Oh, that worked well. I don't see any. I don't see any copyright issues with that. <laughs> it didn't sell very. It didn't sell very well at first. So to try and market the product, Eric called Vern Gagne, who he had met once when Bischoff was an amateur wrestler in high school. At the time, the AWA had a spot on ESPN. So by working out a deal with Vern, Eric was able to advertise Ninja Star Wars to a national audience. 
It still didn't sell enough to make Eric or Ono any real money, so they eventually pulled the plug, but by that point, Eric had spent enough time just hanging around the AWA offices, getting to know Vern and Greg Gagne and some of the other employees, uh, so they offered him a job doing ad sales for the AWA. So Sonny Ono, having an idea for a kid's game uh, that ultimately failed, is the reason that Eric Bischoff ever ended up in the wrestling business. Hmm. How about that? And we, but we never, we never got Ninja Star Wars. That's a, that's a bummer. At six oh five Eastern on TBS this Saturday night, you'll be able to see Hacksaw Jim Duggan, The Renegade, Joe Gomez, Jeff Jarrett, Dean Malenko, Ice Train, and Lord Steven Regal, who will be defending the television title against Hugh Morris. Next up on Nitro, the Faces of Fear are going to take on the Nasty Boys. So we see some footage of both teams in the triangle tag match that also featured the Outsiders from the World War III pay-per-view, including the spot where both the Outsiders got tagged in that always seems so clever. (laughs) Out come the Nasty Boys to their terrible music. Then come the Faces of Fear, who Larry claims are the who Larry claims are only one generation removed from the cannibals who ate Captain Cook. Now, Captain Cook died in 1779, so I'm not sure how old Larry thinks Meng and the Barbarian are (laughs) to only be one generation removed. He's not not good at math. (laughs) He was also killed in Hawaii, not Tonga, where Meng and the Barbarian are from. Uh, He also was not killed by cannibals, but by Hawaiian natives, who were simply mad about his attempt to kidnap their king. Huh. Petty. And they did not they did not eat his body. Uh, they held him in very high esteem, and they actually gave him the funeral rituals normally reserved for chiefs and high elders of Hawaiian society. So that is a bunch of bullshit. And then they ate his body. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Tony says, Captain Cook, did you say? And Larry says, yeah, and Rockefeller's kid. Now, this refers to Michael Rockefeller, the son of former governor of New York and United States Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, young Michael disappeared during uh, young Michael disappeared either during or after swimming to the shore of what was then Dutch New Guinea, which is now part of Indonesia. Now, there is a lot of evidence that he was indeed eaten by cannibals. And this occurred in 1961, so it would fit the one-generation comment Mm -hmm. that Larry made a lot better. But, of course, Tonga and New Guinea are completely different places, and the Barbarian and Meng are not descendants of the Azmat tribe who are believed to have killed Michael uh, in retaliation for the brutal way that uh, that that tribe had been treated by the Dutch. So there's your history lesson for this week. And this is why... 20 years of nitro is a tremendous <laughs> podcast right there. I just can't hear that weird stuff without like disappearing down a rabbit hole. That's why, right. That's why these episodes always take like three months to make because I'm just reading Wikipedia for Nelson Rockefeller's dumb kid getting eaten. And it's almost, it's almost always Larry Zabisco thinking he knows history. It's either that or it's Gene mentioning some bizarre celebrity from the 30s I've never heard of. Yeah, either from the 30s or someone that was popular that week. Yes, yeah, someone who was in the tabloid that Gene saw at the grocery store yesterday. <laughs> right. <laughs> to start the match, all four men brawl immediately with Meng and Sags on the floor and Nobs and Barbarian in the ring. Barbarian clobbers Nobs around the ring and it seems that Sags has got the best of Meng as both of them finally return to their respective corners. 
Barbarian tries a back body drop, but Nobbs hits a double sledge and tags in Sags. The crowd goes crazy as the Outsiders come out and stand at the top of the entrance ramp, posing with their tag team titles. Back in the ring, the Nasties double-team the Barbarian, doing the thing where you each grab a leg and pull them in opposite direction, presumably straining various groin muscles. Mm-hmm. The Barbarian gets to his feet and not, you know, actually thinking as a, and I'm I'm not even old by wrestling, by athlete standards, but if two grown men did that to me, if they pulled my legs in opposite directions like that, I don't think I'd walk for weeks. <laughs> that that seems again. so painful. <laughs> God. Barbarian gets to his feet and Nobbs leaves and the Barbarian and Sags do more clubbering shit. Sags hits the world's longest... Sags hits uh, the world's strongest slam and a standing leg drop. Jimmy Hart pulls his leg and Sags trips and winds up out of the ring, causing Nobbs to run after him, distracting referee Scott Dickinson. Meng takes advantage. By, by the way, uh, underrated Twitter follow is Scott Dickinson. He does not have many followers. I don't think many people even know that it it does seem to be the real Scott Dickinson because uh, Somewhere in his past, he had tweeted a picture of him doing his, like, mail route that I know is his shoot job outside of refereeing. Um, he just tends to, like, he's a reply guy, so he'll just tend to yell his political opinions at people who are, like, definitely not reading his replies. Or he just has, like, weird wrestlers that he randomly hates, and he'll just tweet replies to them. He's It's just a very funny account to follow. I really enjoy following Scott Dickinson. Meng takes advantage, stomping sags on the outside. Barbarian then waffles him with a chair. Barbarian holds Seg's arms from inside the ring and Meng punches him in the belly a bunch. They hit him with a chair again and the Barbarian gives him the big boot and a clothesline. Seg's and Barbarian finally get back in the ring and the Barbarian heads to the top rope. He tries a flying headbutt but Seg's rolls out of harm's way. The outsiders have left apparently. Seg's makes the hot tag to Brian Nobbs to zero fan reaction. Nobbs runs mild with shoulder blocks and punches, but Meng nails him from behind and all four men brawl again. Nobbs hits a splash from the second rope, the deadliest rope. But Scott <laughs> Dickinson isn't there to count the pin as he's decided instead to follow Barbarian and Sags around outside the ring. <laughs> There's no earthly reason within the rules that he is outside the ring arguing with these guys, but that's what he's doing. Nobbs counts the pin himself, but finally gives up. Jimmy Hart jumps on the apron and Nobbs goes to attack him, but the Barbarian sneaks up behind and clubs him and holds him for Jimmy Hart, who comes off the top rope with the megaphone. Nobbs, of course, dodges and Barbarian is clocked by the megaphone instead. Dickinson is still gone, so Nobbs instead goes after Hart, very carelessly tossing him to the outside where Meng is barely able to sort of catch him <laughs> and slow Hart's fall to the ground. The camera completely misses Barbarian laying knobs out with the megaphone, which is the finish as we suddenly just cut to the pin and are told by the announcers that knobs was hit by the megaphone. The faces of fear win this one. It was super overbooked at the end there, uh, but I guess that solidifies why they are the number one contenders going into Starcade. Uh, this match was not good. This was sloppy, even by the standards of the the large gentlemen who we're, we're dealing with here. I was just going to say that I, I, I don't know if it's like an agreement that he has with the rest of the boys, but like Jimmy Hart always gets completely manhandled whenever yeah. he's like in contact with wrestlers. And I don't know if he's just like, I want to make sure I'm getting my proper licks in. So it's like, I'm legit but because it just seems like everyone just roughhouses him or just throws him 
It just it, it seems so reckless all the time when it comes to Jimmy Hart. He's also so much smaller than the guys that they're used to throwing around, I think. Yeah, true. So they're probably just like not expecting like, oh shit, that guy really sailed through the air. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> well, also an interesting thing about that actually to bring up is that, you know, it isn't always this way, but the way it's supposed to be ideally in, you know, traditional wrestling is that when a guy like Jimmy Hart bumps he doesn't bump like a wrestler. He bumps like you or I, you know, because he's not a wrestler. So, you know, if you see like Eric Bischoff gets knocked out or something like that, when he was announcer, he just falls down like you or I would. He's not going to, you know, take a flat back bump. Yeah. I remember uh, just for a reference, I, I really liked a lot of the early times in which Vince McMahon wrestled is because he did a lot of selling and bumping. Like he's not a wrestler. It looked really, really like natural. Sure. Vince McMahon matches rule. Every, Every single, single one of them. Awesome. Even when he beat Shawn Michaels and God. <laughs> Especially yeah. oh, when he beats Shawn Michaels and God. <laughs> I I thought the there was a part after the ref followed uh, Mang and Jerry out to the outside for some reason. Mang picked up a chair and it was like the chair from the cafeteria yeah. when you were a kid. It's like this really hard molded plastic and it's all tangled up in the camera cord and that's why they missed the finish because that camera was was all like tangled up in that cord and he was hitting Jerry Sags with the cord, with the chair. That's why they missed the finish. Also, uh, when Barbarian went for that headbutt off the top rope, he made a hilarious noise. Go back and watch that just to hear that awesome noise. Also, I have, I have no problem if this is the way that they want to have the match between these two teams. It's just like I'm pr- very sure this was not announced as no disqualification. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's just – it's just a, more of a personal annoyance than anything that's like why why are they allowing all this stuff to happen, you know? Yep. Well, and, and then the ref following them to the outside is a, is a half-assed way of protecting the ref. You know what I mean? If you make it no DQ or you say, oh, this is a tornado tag, then you've protected the ref. But that just goes to show that WCW doesn't give a fuck about protecting the refs. They always do it in some half-assed way. They make the refs look like idiots. Or, you know, the only person who respects the ref is Ric Flair. He's the only guy who will put the refs right. over. Everybody else just acts yeah. like they're assholes. <laughs> In the aisle after the match is Mean Gene again, who welcomes the hometown hero, 13-time world champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Ladies and gentlemen, in his own hometown, join me in welcoming the 13-time WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric This town is on fire. Right now, you're sitting on the sidelines, taking it all in. During this holiday season, so much, so much happening in this great sport of ours and in your life. Mean Gene! We are in 
Charlotte, North Carolina. of the Charlotte Carolina Panthers, baby. Woo! And Kevin Green, wherever you are, watch this. Uh-oh. Hello. I might not like you, brother, but right now, you are the man. But that's not what I'm here for. Tonight, I asked the world to tune in because one of my closest friends in this sport is here tonight and I want to ask the greatest Scotsman since ever before, William Wallace, Roddy Piper to come out to a great Charlotte welcome. When I sit in my home week after week and I hear the word icon being passed around so easily, let me assure you and everybody in every phase of the wrestling world, especially WCW, that this man, it is no secret, is truly an icon to the sport of professional wrestling. He has bona fide. Mean Gene, Roddy Piper came to Charlotte in 1981 in a Greyhound bus. Three weeks later, after traveling with me and going up and down the highways, there were women everywhere, call them Hot Rod. Then, he took off like a rocket ship, and now he's got a home next to Phil Knight, the owner of Nike in Beaverton, Oregon, that it takes me two days to walk across to get to his front door. He's a big time player. You said Beaverton. He's a big time player. Now I want to look you right in the eye, because I wouldn't do this for anybody but you. You have taken it upon yourself to challenge Hulk Hogan. In this town, what do we think of Hulk Hogan in this town? He sucks. Yeah. He sucks. Hogan sucks. Now, let me say this to you. Come here. This is hard to do. Two years ago, he came to WCW it was up to me to carry the team ball. I fumbled. I dropped the ball. He beat Ric Flair. He was a better man on that night. He beat me, and I walked away. I made the mistake of walking away 
my head between my legs, embarrassed, and to this day, it haunts me. You, however, not for WCW, not for anybody else, not for the kitty and the kids, brother, because I know you. You're here to rectify the situation. And let me say to you, before you get all humble pie, out there earlier ago, you made reference to the fact you had a bad leg, that you were older than Hogan. Well, I'm older than you. You know the difference is between you and me and Hogan? We all get old, but only you and I are gonna get great, brother. <laughs> you got that, Hollywood? So RP, let me say this. I come here tonight because I want you to know that Charlotte, the Horseman, WCW, whatever you need, it's yours in Nashville because I I tell you, uh, real quickly, I just want to sum this up. They don't come no finer than Ric Flair. As a matter of fact, I was in your gym today, man. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> um, but as far as the four horsemen, Mr. Anderson said some real nice things. You've said some real nice things. I'll tell you what it is for me, Rick. Uh, this is my last shot, folks. Uh, this, I ain't part of nobody. I ain't part of nothing. This is my last shot at making it a go. They're calling me a gimp. They're calling me this. I don't want nobody's help. I appreciate it. I don't want to come off vain. I don't want to come. I don't give a damn how I come off. I'm coming December 29th with all the guts in the world to beat Hulk Hogan and to become the icon. And if I don't do it by myself, I won't be able to live with myself. I'm not making another mistake on December 29th in Nashville, Tennessee. You're mine. I love you. Mwah. Thank you, gentlemen, Rick Flair and Roddy, Roddy Piper. What a pair to draw to start the end of the 29th of December. Tony, let's get back to you. When we come back Flair comes out to the Horseman theme instead of his own music, and the crowd loves him. Uh, he has already lost the big cast that we saw the last time, so his rehab seems to be going well. Yeah, I was kind of annoyed that they didn't use Ric Flair's traditional music. Yeah, I was. I don't know if that's just because it's such horseman country, but it does. It does seem weird that like that his own music is also iconic. There is no no real reason not to use it. Yeah, Gene asks Flair about all the things happening in wrestling this holiday season. Flair says that we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Woo. He, he gets his own cheap Panthers pop, then bows to Kevin Green. I mean, I know you're making a good point, but have you considered woo? <laughs> uh, he bows to Kevin Green, but says, though he doesn't like Green, Green is the man. So, again, they're kind of like, okay, we want to acknowledge like some of our storyline. Yeah. Maybe not inconsistencies, but Flair is a baby face now. So how do we kind of have him get some of the shine from Green, but still admit that, like, you know, him and Green should still have a problem from Great American Bash? Right. So they're doing the best they can, given all the balls in the air here. 
Flair says that he wants the world to tune in to see him speak to one of his best friends and the greatest Scotsman since William Wallace. Uh, sure sign that this was 1996. Right. And he invites Roddy Piper back out. Because <laughs> it's 96 and everyone knows who that is now. <laughs> All right. Well, and that's yet another home that Piper has, too. Oh, right. right. Yes. yes, of course. Of course. Boy, with some of the pandering in the opening promo, the Panther shirt, the joint appearance with Flair, they are really working overtime to make sure that Piper is cheered against the NWO, uh, which, like, thank God, because I feel like they've really failed to do that before, and babyfaces going up against the NWO have been chewed alive by these audiences. So when I talk about everything that they've done to keep Piper cheered, Uh, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm saying that it's cheap or that it's a bad thing. Like, I think it's really smart, and it's a good thing they did that. It finally feels like there is a guy that the crowd wants to give comeuppance to Hogan. You know, it it feels like the crowd is is on board to see Hogan get his ass kicked by Roddy Piper. And not only that, because it's like, it's the the feud is between the NWO and WCW, and even though Piper is not WCW, you feel like... WCW as a company believes in this challenger for Hogan as well, because uh, I don't I don't know about you, but like Randy Savage was left out alone a lot during that right. feud with Hogan, especially when it was like ten on one sort of thing. And the only person that would, only person that would come and help him is Miss Elizabeth, pretty much. <laughs> yep. So it seems it does it seems like they not only are they probably just like higher on um piper now than they were on savage when he was trying to redo his contract but it seems like they're learning something from some of those mistakes where it's like oh yeah i mean just because hogan is the champ and everything like that doesn't mean we the other person's gonna automatically be cheered so yeah absolutely piper comes out and he and flair embrace Flair talks a bit about the word icon being thrown around these days and says that Piper is truly an icon. As he talks, Piper and Gene look at each other and share a real warm and genuine smile. It was just like a nice moment. These guys seem like they're friends. You know, they throw around the word icon a lot, and I'm going to throw it around some more. (laughs) (laughs) Flair says that in 1981, Piper came to Charlotte on a Greyhound bus, and after three weeks of traveling with Ric Flair... There were women everywhere calling him Hot Rod. (laughs) He took off like a rocket ship, and now he lives next to Nike CEO Phil Knight in Beaverton, Oregon. (laughs) He definitely wanted to say... He wanted to say Beaver, and Okerlund even says something like, Did you say Beaverton? Just because now Okerlund wants to say (laughs) it. They're just amusing themselves. This is a lot of interesting information. (laughs) (laughs) Flair asks the crowd what they think of Hogan, and the crowd boos. And Flair says several times that Hogan sucks. <laughs> oh, he says it in such an awesome way, too. He's like, he sucks, he sucks. And he just keeps saying it because the crowd loves it. So as soon as the, he's like, oh, the crowd loves this, and he just keeps saying it. And, and I don't know if this is when he starts dancing around, but at a certain <laughs> point he goes all Flair, and he just starts dancing around, and the crowd goes nuts. And I started to think to myself, if this person this Ric Flair individual was just a normal person, like, at my job or something like that, I would fuck <laughs> I would just hate him. It's like, stop dancing around. Just say what you mean. Get well, it's interesting me. because if you read Flair's book, I think, and a couple other of, like, his contemporaries and peers, it seems like the thing that defines Ric Flair as a person the most 
is that he really wants everyone to like him. And so, like, when you see this stuff, it's just like, this is a guy who just desperately wants everyone in the building to like him. And even when he says, like, oh, he's most comfortable being a heel, maybe that's even because then he's like, oh, thank God I don't have to worry about, like, he's constantly worrying about people liking him. So when he's a heel, he can be like, it's good that people hate me. But, like, ultimately, at his core as a shoot human being, Flair just, he's just a guy who wants attention and wants to be liked. And you're right that outside of the context of him as an entertainer, that would be, like, just annoying as shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a heel, he can make the people in the wrestling business like him more because he can put guys over. He's the the guy, like we were just talking about, with, you know, when a ref, somebody needs to bump for a ref, here comes Ric Flair. He's all about it. He doesn't care if he's the 15, 16-time champion, whatever it is, he's going to bump for everybody. And so that's kind of the unselfishness that you're talking about with him as a wrestler. And as as a heel, he can do that much more effectively. He's one of those guys where, you know, they're on tour their whole life, and then they say something like, when I retired and moved home, like, I was there for a month before my wife said I was driving her nuts and made me go on the road again. And you're like, yeah, I could see where that would be the case. (laughs) (laughs) He's walking around the house like, hey, Hogan sucks. (laughs) I love that. Flair goes on to say that two years ago, Hogan came to WCW and Flair fumbled the ball by allowing Hogan to beat him and take the WCW heavyweight championship. Flair says that he was embarrassed and (laughs) then. Then he very charmingly gets an expression wrong and says that he had to walk away with, quote, my head between my legs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, know, we knew what he meant. That's awesome. <laughs> to this day, Flair says that losing to Hogan haunts him. Flair says that Piper is here to rectify the situation. Flair says that Piper may be older than Hogan, but Flair is older than Piper, and we're all going to get old, but only he and Piper are going to get great. <laughs> this is right. by the way a work piper is a year younger than hulk hogan <laughs> that's what kind of a selfless guy well no that's re- i was going to say a selfless guy piper is but that's ridiculous he is famously a selfish performer <laughs> but it is interesting that i think hogan is very protective about age whereas piper if it feeds this story he's like yeah i'm older than hogan let's just use that even though it's It's, in a shoot sense, not true. I think that's interesting. Flair says that the town, the horsemen, the WCW, whatever Piper needs, are all going to be his. He struts around and says he wants to see Piper kick Hogan's ass. Piper gets the mic and says that he loves Flair and tells the crowd that there's nobody finer. He puts over Flair's gym in Charlotte. Piper says that this is his last shot, and he's coming with all the guts in the world, and if he can't do it by himself... He won't be able to live with himself. So I guess Flair's offering the horseman. Piper saying, no, I gotta, I'm doing this on my own. On December 29th in Nashville, Hogan is his. Piper and Flair walk off with their arms across each other's shoulders. And uh, my, my note immediately after that says, God, guys used to be good at promos. Um, I also made the note about the Roddy Piper saying, this is my last shot. This is my last go. Roddy Piper yeah. will wrestle on Monday Night Raw in 2011, 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does seem very genuine when he says it, too. And I, I think the, the part about, like, hey, man, I was at your gym. Remember that? You know, he just kind of mentions his gym and just says that was cool. Yeah, I think yeah basically he, he does just say it's cool. <laughs> 
what'd you guys think of the promo overall though i th- i really liked this segment i thought it came off really well this is a better way of, of getting him over than than him pandering to like for like the panthers sort of thing because it's mm. a, it's getting one of the biggest names in wcw that would be supporting someone against nwo like not only on his side, you, like you feel like these guys are genuinely on each other's side, and it's not. Yeah. It's not like on each other's side, like Flair and Jeff Jarrett were, for example. <laughs> yes, that's a great contrast to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I I really liked it, and I and I I I like the way that I mean I was just making the joke about him wrestling fifteen years later, but I like the idea of Piper suggesting like I need this. I mean, it's more. It's it's more. There's more to it for him than simply stopping Hogan in the NWO. Like he needs a victory. Like if he's right. going to have any sort of future in wrestling, like he needs this victory. And I think that, in a way, that like makes him very dangerous. It's a really cool deal too because they haven't even really mentioned the title. They're they're putting this over as like this big personal issue and everything. And the whole idea behind this segment is that Flair is putting the Horseman seal of approval on Piper in Horseman Country. And so that's you know there this whole episode is just all about putting Piper over as this mega baby face that's gonna you know slay the dragon. Now, I was kind of curious because a lot of this promo is based on the supposed history between these two guys and their friendship. So I was wondering uh, what, if any, Flair's real feelings on Roddy might be. So I looked up in Flair's book uh, if there was just any mentions of Piper. And the very first time that he comes up, uh, Flair remarks upon meeting Piper in 1980, quote, I fell in love with Rowdy Roddy Piper the day I met him. End quote. So these are two guys who do seem to have genuine affection. Uh, Flair has several stories in the book about their feuds together, uh, their insane partying outside of wrestling, uh, including a time that they wrestled on the same card in the Dominican Republic. Flair defended his NWA heavyweight championship against local hero Jack Venino, sensing that a riot was going to break out if Venino was anything less than completely victorious. Uh, the crowd was inflamed in part because Flair entered with Piper, who loudly sang God Bless America in a purposefully annoying voice. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Flair was worried that there was going to be a riot, so he called an audible and lost clean as a sheet to Venino, uh, eschewing the planned dusty finish. He handed Venino the belt and just screamed at him to celebrate as if he won it. And Piper and Flair ran to the back, protected by Invader Number 1, uh, the guy who would later murder Bruiser Brody. Oh, all right. Piper and Flair had to wait until the crowd dissipated, get the belt back from Venino. Uh, the title change was never acknowledged by the NWA, and then leave the area hidden in an ambulance. And I've seen, like, the ending to that match. That's It is online yeah. somewhere, and it is, like, one of the weirdest, like, weakest things where... Um, Venino has him up for a pile driver, but then he does the pile driver by landing on his knees. Uh, okay. And, so it's, and then after that, he just kind of lays on him, and then they do the three count. It's so bizarre. It just it does not look natural, and does not look like a real finish to a match. <laughs> um, and, and like you said, then he just like he gets the fuck out of town. I think my favorite quote of the story, though, uh, Flair says in summation, quote, for my efforts, I was paid $5,000. Piper got 500 bucks and a spittoon full of cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't know they sold those by the spittoon. That's how that's how they measure them out. Back in the day, is by the spittoon. One spittoon, One spittoon please. <laughs> oh, we were going for the same joke. Uh, it's also the last thing I'll note is that it was drunkenly racing Piper in their cars that Flair got arrested and charged with a DUI. <laughs> So good friends. <laughs> <laughs> so when they talk about terrorizing the coast together, that is, they're quite literally true. Yes. After a commercial, we come back to the countdown to hour two and the pyro to signal its start. Now, we're actually well into the second half of the show. Uh, it's tough to say without exa- without commercials, but the countdown is a full ten minutes later in the show, like on the network, if you look at where we normally are when they do the countdown. Mm-hmm. We're like ten minutes past that. So in real time, that's probably fifteen to twenty minutes past the actual start of the hour. Well, I'd rather have them do it after a break than in the middle of a match. Hey, that's absolutely true. <laughs> we go to the broadcast booth where Shivani is now joined by Mike Tanay and a fiery Bobby Heenan who enthusiastically declares that he wants to see Piper kick Hogan's tail up and down Nashville. We see a replay of Piper calling out Hogan at the start of the show. Tanay says that it's hard to believe that Piper would turn down the support of the horsemen, but if you look at his past, he's always walked alone. The announcers wonder where Hogan is, and Bobby Eaton makes his way to the ring. God, he looks like he's straight out in 1985, still here in 1996. Yeah. Poor. He is awesome. I just, he's like, he just looks so passe, unfortunately, his look. It feels like they could do something about that, but I still have all the respect (laughs) in the world for Bobby. Chris Jericho is out next to a decent reception. This marks Jericho's 10th match on Nitro, and now the two of, and two of those have been against Bobby Eaton. Uh, here to call all the action is our official mustache and mullet correspondent, Dave Amantorp. All right. Well, we begin with uh, Bobby Eaton with the early advantage, hitting Jericho with a clothesline before going to the top and hitting a flying knee drop. Uh, for a second there, I thought he was going for the Alabama jam. And then when I thought about it, I wondered why he didn't. He was yeah, just true. He just could have hit his finisher right away if he wanted to, but. Uh, while Jericho hits a power slam for a two count, um, there's a split screen in which Chris Jericho uh, delivers a promo, and the promo is about Nick Patrick, which I was like, great. This is still continuing. You know, everyone's talking about the New World Order. Everyone's talking about the hostile takeover. Well, I'm here to talk about WCW. The history that WCW has will prevail. The lineage that we have will prevail. Nick Patrick, I showed everybody what you're made of. I embarrassed you in the center of the ring, Nick Patrick, and I sent you flying away. But you know what, Nick? I'm not finished with you yet, Nick. When the time comes, when the time is right, I'm going to give you some more of the revenge that I've already taken. And I can't. Yeah, this promo is bad. It's really awkward. Yeah. He says, like, WCW has their lineage in history, and it's going to prevail. And I'm going to give you revenge, Nick Patrick. But, like, he's already had his revenge on Nick Patrick. There's oh. nowhere else for that to go. It's right. The content is bad. The delivery is bad. Uh, it really shows, like, how far Jericho has come if you watch this, because it's just a really bad promo. Yeah, you... When you see some of these promos of his in 96, like you, you see the enthusiasm, but you, I, you do not see like, oh, there's is a potential that he is one of the greatest promo makers of all time. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
while he's like you know talking about Nick Patrick and everything, there's good stuff going on in the ring too, which is I know that it's nice that they show it to us because he got the you know Chris Jericho in mm-hmm. a box or whatever. But at the same time, it's kind of taking some attention away from the match that's going on, and in a way, it kind of buries Bobby Eaton. You know? Oh, I, sure. I agree, but I I mean it's just a fact that like burying Bo- they're not concerned about burying Bobby Eaton. There's no mm-hmm. that's not even on their radar. Bobby Eaton. In 1996, he's on the level of a Joe Gomez or a Renegade. I'm not saying that's how I view him, but just that's how he's booked (laughs) at this point in his career. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, When the promo ends, Chris Jericho hits a suplex and a lion salt for a two count. Or as Tony Schiavone called it, that move. (laughs) Uh, Chris Jericho gives Bobby Eaton a chop which makes him crumple to the mat and contemplate the decisions in his life. Ian gains the advantage <laughs> and now goes for the Alabama jam, which he misses by a mile. Jericho lays him out with a crescent kick, then goes up to the top, hits a missile drop kick and gets the pinfall victory. So yeah. Um, like, uh, Drucifer was saying, you kind of miss a lot of like the, like the middle chunk of it because of the split screen. Because as much as like they, they show the the two things, it's really hard to concentrate on the wrestling when there's like a promo going on. Sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, this match pretty much served its purpose of giving Jericho some highlights and giving him a victory on Nitro. So I don't have any complaints about it, but it's certainly nothing memorable. Nowadays, if they did a, something like that on on WWE TV, they'd be sitting in a hold while they went to the box, you know. So it. You know, back then they were just kind of beginning the split screen type stuff, and I don't think they really knew how to do it. One of the things I loved about this match is that on the WWE Network, Jericho's old, you know, original babyface music was actually in his entrance, not the like, you know, break the walls down, which is always very strange when they had put that in an old episode mm-hmm. of Nitro. Yeah, I've actually uh, been talking to, chasing a few leads on actually getting broadcast versions of these shows mm-hmm. uh, for for future reviews we'll see if uh if any of those work out but i that's been something that i've been looking at because i do think that we're missing a lot without the original themes and sometimes when they overdub the theme you miss the crowd reaction which is almost a bigger a bigger deal it can be hard to judge how over somebody is if you're hearing just this piped in music shivani talks about the events over the last two weeks between sting and rick steiner and we see replays then gene is in the aisle with both steiner brothers Rick, uh, you took a couple of shots from Sting, and of course we, we had an opportunity here just moments ago to see it. What do you think of the guy? Do you think he still is uh, the old Sting? I don't know where Sting's at. I don't know where he's going. He could be up in the Raptors right now if you're up there listening, Sting. I don't I'm think just... so. The Steiner brothers are sitting here waiting. What's Sting going to do next? You did it to Lex. He did it to me. We're waiting for a message, Sting. What's next? All right, Scotty. Uh, well, as you can see, Rick kind of looking around here. I don't, I don't know what to make of it, but one thing I do know is that if the old Sting is there, I'd like to see him come on back. That's right, Sting. I don't know what you're thinking. You got a lot of people out here confused. But Sting, we're waiting on you. Thank you very much. Stay tuned. More Nitro when we return live from Charlotte, North Carolina. Gene asks Rick what side Rick thinks Sting is on. 
Rick doesn't know and looks around the rafters for the stinger. He just looks lost and confused, which is kind of his default state. Well, he does that old school wrestling thing, too, where during an interview, you just block the camera with your back, you know? By the way, Bull Steiners, they really enjoy saying Sting's name. Yeah. I mean, it's like, where are you at, Sting? (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's like since they were friends with him for a long time, they didn't get to say it on the microphone. So they're kind of like really relishing the opportunity to say sting because I just <laughs> I was constantly distracted by the way that they the, the way they say his name all the time. Where is sting? Sting. <laughs> Come back here, sting. Rick says that him and his brother are just waiting for a message to know what's next from sting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can't avoid it now. They start the music for a commercial, but Gene asks Scott the same question and basically gets the same answer, and now it's really time for the commercial. (laughs) (laughs) After the break, we get a video package to remind us how great Lex Luger is. Oh, yes. Yes. It's Lex Luger just being awesome in this video (laughs) package. He's in Germany, so this is just kind of to remind us that he's a guy who we love and is doing good work. Uh, In the video, he poses he does a rack on a bunch of dudes his theme song plays it's pretty great i liked it afterwards sergeant craig Pittman's theme plays uh the military style snare drums and out saunters Pittman with a scowl and his hands on his hips so that we know he's a heel now uh-huh. <laughs> he, he has d- an attitude change as they keep saying over and over yeah again. <laughs> he gets pyro for rhythm reasons i cannot begin to fathom out next is his opponent, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. What I liked about Pittman was that he's like he's scowling, he's trying not to get excited, but then he gets a little bit pumped up because there's the the um, the pyro, and it's just like I think he just couldn't resist at least like being like yeah, come on, and then he kind of he, just, <laughs> he turns he he just watches it, he turns around and looks at it for a few <laughs> seconds. It's like yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's kind of like. Rick Flair's gym. It's pretty cool, you know? Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Arn is out next. Uh, he's got Steve and Deborah McMichael with him. Following up on her list of beauty contest wins from last week, Deborah is now wearing a tiara <laughs> and her Miss Illinois sash. She looks delusional. She looks like she looks like a David Lynch character who has gone yes. insane or something. It's bizarre. <laughs> and so does Mongo. Mongo's wearing his fucking, uh, you know, Super Bowl ring, which is, I've never noticed that before. <laughs> but when I was watching this, he's always wearing his Super Bowl ring, and he's delusional too. Yeah, it's definitely like, I mean, I know that these were adult accomplishments, but they seem like people wearing like a letter jacket after high school. It's like, dude, let yes. it go. <laughs> right. Uh, now Deborah won the title of Ms. Illinois in 1987 and competed in that year's Mrs. America pageant. Now, please note that is not Miss America, the more famous contest, but oh. one that is specifically for married women. <laughs> she lost to Pamela Nail, Ms. Mississippi. What? I'm just, I'm just telling you. <laughs> but... But I thought it was just for married people. What the hell? Well, I think Ms. Mississippi instead of Miss M.S. Ms. Mississippi, not Miss Mississippi. Miss Mississippi is a great (laughs) title, by the way. Yeah, that is confusing. (laughs) Before the match, we get a split screen for a promo with Kevin Sullivan, who is looking 10,000 years old in a Nitro (laughs) T-shirt. 
He just looks like he hasn't slept in weeks or something. Sullivan says that he blames all of this on Arn Anderson. What if this was Aaron, he asks, a reference to Aaron Lundy, Arn's shoot wife. What if Arn came home and there was no Barrett, Arn's son, and no Aaron? Sullivan says he's been having long, cold nights, and next week he's going to heat up his life with Arn. So I guess live uh, on Nitro next week, Arn Anderson <laughs> and Kevin Sullivan are going to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and and we thought the NWO were gay. This is crazy. Well, it's that's them. That's in, them infiltrating WCW with their gay mafia. Yeah, yeah. The agenda's taking over. Right. That's, and this is a, a another instance of in which uh, Kevin Sullivan is just like so dedicated to trying to do like this this quasi like shoot style interview. And I, yeah. I was just like, what the fuck is he talking about? Because he's saying he's muttering names, and I can't, even, I can barely even understand what he's saying because he's kind of like doing like uh, an early version of like mumblecore when he's saying yeah. it. But also, I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Like, I would have to look up to find out who Arn Anderson's like wife is, or if these are his right. kids, or it, it's just it defeats the purpose if you're like just bringing up stuff that's so inside that like even. Like, p- people that watch every single week would have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Sullivan says he's got no life left, nothing but Arn. Well, <laughs> here to call all the action uh, between Arn Anderson and Sergeant Craig Pittman is our own surly drill sergeant, Andy. Wow, okay. I didn't know I was supposed to do this one. I Oh really? I have the, yeah, I have the DDP versus Jeff Jarrett match as my next one that I'm doing here. Uh oh, because um, I have DDP versus Jeff Jarrett. And uh oh, Dave, you don't have Arn Anderson versus Pittman, do you? I do not. Okay. Shit. Uh well um, who gives a shit? Like <laughs> Right. Well I can run it I can run it down pretty quick. I mean, you know, if I remember correctly, not much happens. Uh Arn wins with a DDT after like there was okay, so all right, I'll start over. All right, don't have play-by-play notes on this due to a uh, you know an unfortunate thing on my end. I, I thought I was doing a different match. I apologize. No, no, no. But, I I without even looking, I can guarantee it was my mistake. I oh, I don't even have to look it up. That sounds like a thing I would fuck up. Well, um, so the main crux of this match, though, is all about this finish, all right? So what happens at the finish is completely botched by Deborah because she's standing in the way. And what, you know, the idea of what's supposed to happen is that Craig Pittman gets dumped to the outside and Mongo is supposed to spear him on the outside. However, you know, (laughs) Deborah's in the way and Craig Pittman even tells her, get out of the way. (laughs) And and she stands there. She stands there. This is all right on camera. The roaming cam is standing right there. And so, you know, basically Mongo comes around and just kind of punches Craig Pittman in the stomach and then rolls him in the ring. Arn's waiting, hits the DDT, and gets the win. And, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't as smooth as you would like it. Not everyone in this match was Arn Anderson. There was only one of him. So he couldn't do everything to make it perfect. But man, I, I can't believe Deborah. The one thing she had to do was just not be in the way. That was the she had to wave to the crowd uh-huh. and not be in the way. But she was too busy thinking about the promo she was going to cut here in a minute, and so she was just standing right in the fucking way. Well, and really, uh, I mean, of course, Arn is Arn, um, but this is his sixth to last match. He is he is winding out the the weeks here. 
Um, he doesn't know that at the time, but he, my point is that he's so hurt that he's practically retired. The fight is almost completely out of him. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, this is not the Arn Anderson that we're used to seeing in terms. Uh, so not only is he in there with Pittman, but it's just it's not Arn at his best. So, yeah, this this sucked. Unfortunately, the horsemen celebrate a win. Uh, look, I'm not saying Pittman should beat Arn Anderson, but if he's a new heel, why have him out here to lose via cheating? Just feed anyone else to Arn. I right. didn't quite understand that booking, but I again, who cares? It's Pittman. Whatever you do with him, it's not going to be that big a deal. <laughs> mean Gene is standing by with Arn, Deborah, and Mongo. Tony, I thank you very much. Uh, of course, Steve Mongo, McMichael, Deborah here, and Arn Anderson, conspicuous by her absence here this evening on Nitro. Woman, where is she? Flair's here. I'm here. Mongo and Deborah's here. Benoit's in Germany. Again, where is woman? Two and two's four. You know, somehow, if love is in the air, it sure does stink. And I think somehow this is all my fault. No, Arn, like I told you from the beginning, it is not your fault. I tried to tell you about that little tramp, Nancy. But no, you wouldn't listen to me, would you? No. And tonight, I wore this crown and banner out to prove to you that I am the most beautiful and the most intelligent. So Arn, I've dealt with this my whole life, with the NFL wives, with all the girls in the beauty pageants. They're all trying to win by lying, scamming, being deceitful. You can, because beauty is power. And that means, Arn, that I am the most powerful horseman. Isn't that right, Steve? You can't argue with that, can you, little man? Listen, Arn. This ain't no time to be getting caught up in a soap opera, baby. You rededicated us last week, and look what you did. You went up there and you beat one of the toughest wrestlers in the world all by yourself, baby. That's a taking care of business, horseman style. That's what we're talking about. Benoit, come home. Woman, got a bone to pick with you. I think it's more the business. I think it's a little he and she, as they say, in the South. Stay tuned. We've got more Nitro when we come back. Arn is annoyed that all the horsemen are present, except for, of course, Benoit, who's in Germany, except for woman. He's he's mad at woman for not being there, even though he's not really mad at Benoit. I don't know why he wouldn't want at least one other horse person to be with Benoit. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, it's just, it's, they've done this for weeks now. Everyone's mad at woman and no one can articulate a decent reason why it's it's insane like they all come across as so weird and petty for just hating women for nothing and it's because i think the reason is that they're not allowed because sullivan is booking this all with his weird shadowy you know shoot mystifying storytelling <laughs> like they're not allowed to just say well She's married to Sullivan, but she's fucking Benoit, and that's getting us in trouble with our other factions in this company. Yeah. Like, they're not allowed to just say that, so everyone has, like, invent their own motivation, and, like, it just, it never makes any sense. It, I, I guess Deborah's thing is a little clear, and it's only clear because, like, she's just like, well, I'm a woman, and all women are naturally hate each other. <laughs> like, that seems to be her deal. It's, it's truly, like, it makes no sense upon examination. I like I like describing Kevin Sullivan's booking as shadowy and mystifying, <laughs> which is what you just said. And I was like, wow, those are very, very strong words. 
Arn says if love is in the air, it stinks. And he's <laughs> and he's worried that maybe this is all his fault. Deborah says no, it's that little tramp Nancy's fault. Deborah says she's been dealing with this her whole life as an NFL wife, where other women are trying to win by being lying, cheating, scamming, and deceitful. Now, what the other NFL wives were trying to win, I don't know. The title of, like, shittiest person? I, I do, I'm not sure what the contest is there. There's a Super, but, there's a super Bowl for wags or something? <laughs> Her promo makes no sense here. It, it's just, I mean, I get what she's trying to say because I'm, I have a brain, you know, and it works a little bit. But, like, you know, the, if you just, like, were to write down what she said and read it word for word, it would just make no sense at all. Right. This one, this promo of her, because I've I've thought in the past she's delivered very like competent, just pretty straightforward promos, uh, but this one has like the a very strong Mongo influence from it, in which in which <laughs> she is shouting a lot and it goes off the rails like really quickly and it was really surprising because up until this point there was no maybe it's because she kind of has like this gimmick going now and she's really trying to hammer home the this gimmick of like. Uh, of the beauty pageant thing, I don't know, but I felt like she was fine up until uh, up until this week, and this was just a disaster to listen to. Deborah says that beauty equals power, and that makes her the most powerful horseman. Now, right. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't annoy Arn, but Arn is fine with this, I guess. Uh, Mongo pats Jean on the head and says that this is no time to get caught up in a soap opera. He compliments Arn on beating one of the toughest wrestlers in the world all by himself. Because <laughs> he was supposed to spear him, and it was supposed to be an obvious distraction. You know, uh, he was supposed to have obviously helped Arn win, and it just didn't come off that way. Arn tells Chris to come home and says that he is a bone to pick with woman. I'm going to let that lie. <laughs> what he meant to say was, come home once your tour is done. Yeah, right, yeah. Come back to the States, because that's that's where your next uh, shows are. We, we can't fail to mention that when we come back from commercial, two fat guys just chest bump each other, and they're having the blast. They're having so <laughs> much fun. And every time there's a crowd shot tonight, the crowd is just losing their fucking mind. <laughs> they can't believe they're at Nitro. They can't believe that the four horsemen are there, you know? We then get Lee Marshall's road report live from Pensacola, Florida. There's apparently multiple nitro parties up and down the marina in Pensacola tonight. Uh, Marshall says that it looks like the brain has been there because it appears that someone rolled a wagon wheel through their nitro pie. Hmm. I, I don't know what that means. Afterward, the brain claims that Marshall was there when they invented the first wagon wheel. Out comes Diamond Dallas Page for a U.S. title tournament against Jeff Jarrett. The winner of this match will face the winner of Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero, which is going to be on Nitro in two weeks. Heenan puts over how far Diamond Dallas Page has come over the last year as Jeff Jarrett comes to the ring to some pyro. Now, Drusiver, Andy, you said you took notes for this. I have notes as well. Uh, do you want to take it or I can take it? It's, it's, it's up to you. This is you're our guest. Well, I'm happy to do it. It's your podcast, so you know it's up to you guys. Whatever you think. Uh, why don't you go ahead? I'll, I'll. I've got my notes. I'll add anything if I've got anything worth saying. All right. So we have DDP versus Jeff Jarrett. DDP comes out smoking a cigar, of course, and teases high fives with the crowd, but he gives himself a high five instead. Aww. 
Before the match, Double J struts and holds his mouth open wide for a very long time. It's super weird. (laughs) DDP is chewing gum now, probably to get the cigar taste out of his mouth. And before they lock up, he spits the gum out, which is super gross. They also say that they also say that Paige is mocking Jarrett somehow, but we see zero of what he's doing and only <laughs> see Jarrett's reaction to it. So I, I would have yeah. I don't know what that was. I have note in here of a couple kind of camera issues that that happened during this match, and and you know there's a couple camera issues tonight because of stupid shit that's going on, on the outside of the ring. So they start with a collar and elbow tie up. Tie-up, which ends in a stalemate. That DDP taunts Double J, but we don't see it because the shot is an extreme close-up of Jeff Jarrett's stupid face. <laughs> they, <laughs> they lock up again with Jarrett getting a takedown, doing tiny little mini-stomps on Paige's back. Double J struts, and the crowd boos him. We get another lockup with DDP driving Double J into the corner. The ref calls for a break, and during the corner break, DDP feigns a punch to... Uh, but kicks Jarrett instead, infuriating Jeff Jarrett. They trade headlock takedowns, head scissors, reverse spots, leading to another stalemate. And we get a commercial break here with a Starcade promo. It's kind of funny, this match, because we talk a lot about how they're so willing to do face versus face or heel versus heel. Well, in this company right now, like these are the two most gray area guys. DDP is ostensibly a heel who is being treated more and more as a face and Jarrett is ostensibly a face who every week is more and more of a heel so it's like these guys are sort of like two ships passing in the night at the exact point of uh grayness in terms of uh affiliation that's a very astute observation i like that back from commercial and ddp reverses an irish whip into a backdrop suplex uh, Diamond Dallas Page, Irish Whips, Double J, again into the Tilt-A-Whirl side slam. Each of these moves uh, getting a decent crowd reaction. Jarrett turns things in his favor by hitting a jawbreaker in Enziguri, which is the new superkick in 2019. Jarrett struts and stomps on Page and hits a great swinging neckbreaker. That swinging neckbreaker was fucking awesome. Yeah. And it just goes to show you how I mean, DDP is a tremendous wrestler. Jeff Jarrett is very good. DDP is, like, one of my favorite guys from this time because he bumps like a fucking maniac for everybody. And, like, that's the best way to make your opponent look like a badass. It's just bump like a crazy person. Right. And he's so and he's so big that when he does that, he, it's, he doesn't wrestle as a giant because he's not a giant. Because they have giants in WCW. Yeah. DDP is just a big guy, you know? There's an interesting moment on commentary here, too, where Shivani acknowledges that Jarrett is just not the new flair. You know, that's they've been kind of trying to push that angle for a while. Yeah. And this is the first time where they're like, yeah, you know, it seems like he wants to be the new flair. But in spite of his endorsements, the fans here in Charlotte believe there's only one Ric Flair. So, like, it's for the first time they're kind of being like, yeah, it seems like him and Flair kind of wanted this to work out, but the the fans are just not having it. So <laughs> maybe they've realized it's not working, and now they're going to start leaning into like a heel turn for him, which I think would be the right move. I think that would be kind of a smart play on their part. His gear is heel gear. 
and I hate it. I hate Jeff Jarrett's gear so much. It's actually one of the reasons why he is like a change the channel type of dude for me. Right. But this match is good. You know, uh, DDP ends up hung up on the ropes, and Jared hits that move uh, wh- where boss man, you know, the big boss man used to do, where he hits the ropes and then kind of you just crotch yourself on the back of the wrestler's neck, yep. presumably choking him. We get more stomps from Double J, uh, which gets some boos from the crowd and warnings from the ref. Don't you do that. DDP tries a sunset flip, scoring a two count, but Jared answers right back with a lariato. Jarrett gets more heat with a Tully Blanchard slingshot suplex and a second rope fist drop, as you pointed out earlier, the most dangerous rope. They trade roll-ups, each getting a two-count. This is the second match tonight with a small package hope spot during the heat section as well. Uh, DDP starts a comeback with punches and a back body drop, but Double J sees the back body drop coming and hits a face buster on Paige, which gets Double J a two count. Yeah, right around here, uh, Shivani, earlier in the show, he'd plugged some shows that are coming up in Chicago and Wisconsin, and he gave the wrong date, so he has to correct himself. And uh, when he mentions Green Bay, Wisconsin, Heenan goes... Oh, Green Bay is the fashion capital of the world because it's the only place where they make all the bowling shirts for women in size 58 large. (laughs) (laughs) Where does he get that shit? That's awesome. (laughs) Next, we have a sleeper hold from Jarrett, and DDP begins to fade, but the crowd gets behind him, and he fights to his feet and tries a kick. Jarrett catches it. But Paige hits a tremendous lariato himself himself for a big double down. Um, There is a problem here, right? Um, You know, right here, this is where Randy Anderson, DDP, and Jeff Jarrett have a nice long chat in the ring. And it kind of shatters kayfabe. And then something else happens that makes me want to, like, climb into the television and choke Jeff Jarrett. Because after he just got hit with that massive lariat... Um, he gets up first, which is fucking bullshit. Yeah. And DDP should whoop his ass for that. Uh, that next that next thing should be received from DDP. Uh, Jarrett gets up first, holding his fist clenched with the middle finger, the knuckle of his middle finger sticking out, and he looks like a kid trying to be tough. Yeah, Jeff yeah, Jarrett. Yeah. <laughs> Jarrett tries punches, but they're all blocked by DDP, who follows up with punches of his own. DDP hits a huge diving tackle from the top rope and gets a near fall. Uh, he launches himself at Jarrett, who moves, making DDP fall to the outside opposite of the entrance ramp. And it's at this point that the crowd goes bonkers because the outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, run into a huge pop. Nash distracts the ref while Hall hits the outsider's edge on Jeff Jarrett. DDP climbs back in the ring having seen none of this and gets the pin, advancing to the finals. The Outsiders now have heat with me for not allowing me to see the Diamond Cutter. Now, <laughs> I would like to correct one minor thing. Uh, you said the Outsiders ran to the ring. Scott Hall runs to the ring. Kevin Nash <laughs> saunters quickly behind him. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> now, uh, I thought that match was pretty good. Uh, certainly, you know, up there in terms of what we've seen tonight. Uh, you know, uh, Paige is, is firing on all cylinders at this par- point, and I think Jared is capable of, of, you know, if he's in there with the right guy, he can keep my interest for a TV match. So I thought this was pretty good. What about you guys? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a good match. Uh, 
nice and back. It's a sort of back and forth match that makes sense. So a bit more than like Malenko versus Jimmy Graffiti. Um, and, and, and for the, for the most part, I like the finish, except the fact that it's just like, there's no way the referee could not notice that there was like a finishing move being done in the ring, like just behind him. (laughs) Once you kind of like eliminate that part of it, then I think the finish works because it's still advancing this storyline and it, it doesn't make Jarrett look that bad. Um, either so no i don't i i don't have any problems with this match um and then they so you said that he's going to the finals now correct yes all right yeah i thought it was great um i really like both these guys as wrestlers you know jeff jared i'm not really a huge fan of as as far as his character and everything but he's a solid wrestler ddp i fucking love this era ddp he's starting to get that heat you know he's starting to get that that you know baby face reaction that eventually is going to make him one of the top stars in pro wrestling and as we stated earlier wcw doesn't give a fuck about protecting <laughs> their referees so that's why uh that's why it doesn't matter if randy anderson sees the outsiders you know uh win this match for ddp after the match me Gene is in the ring with DDP. And there's your winner, Diamond Dallas. I guess he's making his way to Gene Okerlund. What a night it's been, huh, Gene? I gotta agree with you there, Tony. Diamond Dallas Page, come on in here for just a second. What's wrong with this picture? Every time I see you at an arena around WCW, all of a sudden, who comes to your aid? But Hall and Nash, the outsiders. Admittedly, they're good friends of yours. And now you say you're not going to have any part of the new world order. What's the score? Yeah, I know. Yeah, he knows that. Like this. I don't need them. I got the hottest finish on the planet, the diamond cutter. He was inches from dying. I look up, they're leaving. I'm telling them one more time. You do your thing. Let me do mine. Where were you guys three years ago? Huh? When I was busting my hump at WCW. Huh? When I was rated most improved wrestler last year by PWI, and I'm a locking for the most improved again. You know what it reminds me of, Gene? It reminds me of a girl I might have picked up in a nightclub. And she, uh, I don't know, she has one unbelievable time. We were working on some cardiovascular action. Next thing I know, she wants to be a member, have a membership. It's like this. Stop calling me. That's what I'd say to the broad. I'm saying the same thing to them. Leave DDP alone. I'm a man who stands alone. Quickly, quickly, DDP. U.S. title, you've got a shot at uh, at that one. At Starcade, it's something you've got to be preparing for. Nobody wants it more than Diamond Dallas Page. I don't care who's in the tournament with me. Nobody wants it more than DDP. We're going to find out December the 29th in Nashville, Tennessee. It is Starcade for Nitro when we come back. Gene asks the obvious question about the Outsiders, Page's friends helping him out once again. Page says he doesn't need them. He has the hottest finish on the planet. He tells the Outsiders one more time to do their thing and leave him alone to do his. 
He asked where the outsiders were three years ago when he was toiling away and says he didn't need them last year when he was the PWI most improved wrestler. Yes. <laughs> Which bringing that up in a promo is some real DDP shit. I love it. <laughs> and he says that he's going to earn that again in 1996. Page did not win Pro Wrestling Illustrated's most improved wrestler for 1996. Do you guys want to guess who actually did go on and win that award? Um, let me think. Jimmy Graffiti. <laughs> I'm so um. I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. This person, I think it's probably fair to say they did improve a lot in 1996. They also still sucked. <laughs> Okay. Mongo. <laughs> That's actually not a bad guess. It's a WWF guy. Oh boy. Um let me think. Eh, it was Ahmed Johnson. Oh, oh Jesus. Boy. <laughs> that that's also accurate too. He, he, yeah. He added a few a few knee pads and, <laughs> and all of a sudden I think it's, they were like, hey, this guy this guy's got some. It's fair to say he improved. Like yeah. I, I don't think that's a false statement, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And my my guess is whoever was like runner up is probably like a legend now. <laughs> sure. That's how it usually works. Paige says that this all reminds him of picking up a girl in his club, fucking her, and then getting annoyed when she kept asking him for membership to the club. Now, he doesn't say it like that, but that's what he says. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Stop calling me, he tells the NWO, like he claims he told this, quote, broad in his past. <laughs> Leave DDP alone, he begs, Chris Crocker style, before giving himself a high five. Um, by the way, the runner up in 1996 was Chris Benoit. Oh wow! Okay, so huh? Uh, far I don't know if wrestler. I would. Did he really end '96 better than he started? I mean, I'm sure he ended better, but was it by such a huge margin? Like, I feel like he was excellent at the beginning of '96, and he was excellent at the end of it. Uh, maybe they're just kind of mistaking it for like he's improved his like position in the world of wrestling, sort of thing. That's true, and I the PWI they're the ones whose lists are always in kayfabe. I believe isn't that yeah. right? Right. So yes, it's a gim it's a gimmick and they're in cahoots with WCW because remember the whole nasty boys and uh Hogan won the PWI. Oh, and they showed and they up the to the award. Ceremony, right? right, yep. And and you know, and the whole point behind those awards, uh, like I said, is kind of just to promote whoever WCW wanted to promote at that time. So this was a a way to kind of put something on a young star that they were putting some steam behind and maybe kind of give him a little bit of a push. Yeah. Gene asked Paige about prepping for the US title match at Starcade, and Paige says that nobody wants it more than DDP. Uh, this one was slightly different than the past couple of weeks. We've we've been banging on about how the DDP promos lately have all been the exact same. Yeah. This one at least wasn't quite as repetitive. Uh, but Paige also didn't seem quite as confident. He stumbled his way through a few of the sentences. Uh, so I thought this promo uh, or interview, whatever, it was fine, but it wasn't particularly good. As much as I love uh, Paige at this point, it just this wasn't his best work. We come back from commercial to the sounds of Steinerized, as our main event is meant to be Rick Steiner versus Scott Norton, a match that would really excite me elsewhere on the card, but when you see it in the main event, you know it's just going to be some kind of bullshit. <laughs> right. uh, and immediately that proves to be correct, because out comes not Rick Steiner, but Rowdy Roddy Piper. He's halfway down the aisle when they switch to his music. 
he looks pissed off. Uh, that's what you call a power walk, says Tony. <laughs> Piper gets a chair, throws it in the ring, sits down and grabs a mic. Piper says that he's tired of talking and he's going to sit in the ring until Hogan comes out. He says his no retreat, no surrender catchphrase, which is probably a reference to the chorus of Bruce Springsteen's song, No Surrender, but may also be a reference to the 1986 film, No Retreat, No Surrender, <laughs> in which an American teenager is taught karate by the ghost of Bruce Lee in order to defend his dojo <laughs> against an evil Soviet martial artist played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. That feels likely. <laughs> Piper sits there talking shit until the NWO music plays. Heenan threatens to leave, but the only man coming down the aisle is Eric Bischoff with his new evil goatee and leather jacket. People throw a bunch of trash with Eric showing legitimately great reflexes. He ducks like a bunch of cups and trash. Uh, the camera cuts, though, to Piper for a second. And when we come back, Bischoff's hair is soaked. Yeah. Somebody got him with a full drink. They... They nailed him, but good. Uh, Heenan gets a great line out of that, though. He goes, look at him. He's sweating. <laughs> <laughs> As he makes his way to the ring, Piper says that Bischoff ain't going to cut it. He grabs a piece of trash by his feet and says, I think this was meant for you and chucks it at Eric. Excuse me. I think this was meant for you. Oh, no, that's for you, man. They love you. And oh, I love you. I don't need this no more, and I don't need you. I'm looking for Hogan, so you just run along and put me. Mr. Piper, Mr. Piper, Mr. Piper. Hey, no, just, just relax. The NWO is not here. They've left the building. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'm here to tell you that I really am your friend. I am your friend. Because, yes, I tried to keep you out of WCW to protect you from yourself. I really, really did. I really am your friend. I love you too, buddy. And you know what? I've seen your movies, and they're good. They're very good. But you are no Hulk Hogan. You are no Hulk Hogan. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. On the 29th, those lights you'll be seeing say Nashville Municipal Auditorium. That's the last thing you're going to remember seeing. You know why? Because those 24-inch pythons are going to squash you like a grape. Hey, we'll see you on the 29th, Gimp. Piper tells Eric to run along. He's waiting for Hogan. He swats Eric on the butt and tries to get him to leave before sitting back down. Eric says that the NWO isn't here. They've left the building for tonight. But Eric is Piper's friend who tried to keep him out of WCW to protect Roddy from himself. Eric says that Piper's movies are good, but he's no Hulk Hogan. Eric says at Starcade, Hogan's 24-inch pythons are going to squash Roddy like a grape. He calls Piper a gimp and, leaps and limps around theatrically until Piper cheap shots him in the back of the head. Eric goes down and Piper drags him to the middle of the ring and grabs the chair. He stands on Bischoff holding the chair and the NWO rush out. No Hogan, though. He's just not on the show this week. Piper holds him off with a chair and is joined in the ring by Kevin Green. They do the big uh, two guys in the ring fighting off the, the baddies and then they bump each other back to back and swing around like maybe they're going to hit each other. 
you know, I, I think like Hogan and Randy did that before the mega fa- powers formed, I mm-hmm. believe. Right. Uh, I think Hogan later did that with warrior in the Royal rumble that kind of teased what would eventually become their big match. The crowd cheers and the NWO try to save some face by throwing up two sweets. Very suddenly the show goes off the air, fade to black, show the credits. Uh, although if you're watching this on the network, you still kind of hear some scuffling and it, you just see someone from the NWO jump the apron and the network has an after the show exclusive that has a little additional footage that originally was only for the live audience. Uh, we see Piper holding off the NWO with chair shots, very, very gentle chair shots mm-hmm. as they try to enter the ring and save Eric. The Outsiders manage to get into the ring, but Arn and Mongo run down and beat them up. Uh, Mongo hits a similarly gentle Halliburton shot on Kevin Nash that is just like hitting him with a pillow. He, he's so careful about it. <laughs> the baby faces stand tall in the NWO retreat. Arn and Piper hug and Mongo raises Roddy's hand. I don't know why that wouldn't have been on TV unless uh, the network made a mistake or who knows what. But it's it seems odd that 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 part didn't originally air, but apparently it didn't. Uh, what did you guys think of that closing segment of the show? Uh, I mean, I thought it was fine. I think it was I think the purpose of it has already been handled like earlier on in the show as far as establishing Roddy Piper as like the the legitimate threat that everyone is getting behind. So I don't know, maybe I mean, that's kind of how these nitros have been ending anyway. So maybe they just felt like a necessity for there to be a confrontation. But um, uh, yeah, I just sort of felt like that this has been uh, a grounds of cover before. The fact that there's no Hogan on this show at all and the only references we get to him are basically from, you know, baby faces that are just talking shit about him and stuff like that. It's kind of a shame because, you know, I'm a big fan of the championship should be kind of the focus of your show. And the fact that the champion's not there, there should have been some reason for that as opposed to just he isn't here. Because if it, at the very beginning of the show, um, and Roddy, Roddy Roddy Piper's original promo at the very beginning, he was saying, I know he's here in the building. I know he's here in the building. He said that like three yeah. times in his promo. Well, you're, so we may- you're getting down to essentially a problem of being in a ratings war because the reason they don't do that is they want you to constantly think Hogan's going to be on the show so that you stick around to the end to see the part where Hogan's going to come out. They don't want you to figure out that he's not on the show until the show's over. That's true. That's true. Well, it's a shame and it just kind of, I don't know. It kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit or the sting. 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 And, and, and honestly, I think that's also why uh, they ran out of time on the original broadcast, because that Sting promo went so long. <laughs> you know, that's that's what the problem was. So there you the go. way they say Sting reminds me of that uh, that commercial for a beer. I forget which one. It, where they go, and twins. Yeah. It's kind of that. It was like that similar <laughs> vowel twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I guess I'm a little happier with the segment than than you guys. Um, I think like it fit in with a through line through the show of really getting everyone behind Piper and showing Piper uh, to be a big deal that the crowds are in favor of 
Um, so I I think like they almost went into the land where or the the area where I'd say there was a little too much Piper on the show, but I'm gonna say that it was just enough. Mm. And I think the perfect foil, uh, the least likable guy in the NWO is smarmy ass Eric Bischoff. So I think that was if he's going to have a standoff with someone and your main concern is making sure that Piper comes off crosses the baby face. I think that having him out there with uh, Bischoff is absolutely the best way to go. So I, I thought that was a pretty effective segment. Uh, that really brings us to the end of the show overall. What did you guys think of this Nitro as a whole? Andy, uh, let's start with you. What did you think? I liked it. I mean, I, I got to watch it several times. So, you know, I got to uh, really, really get into the nitty gritties of this show. I love Nitro. One of the reasons I found your podcast is because I just I grew up watching Nitro and I watched that more than I watched any other wrestling, um, you know, until just a few years ago. And when I got into independent wrestling, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, I, I'm a big fan of Nitro. It does kind of suck we were missing a lot of people, but that tends to be the way it is on a lot of these shows because they have these these tours that are going on in other countries and things like yeah. that. And then you have you know, Hogan refusing to be on, and also they're teasing him and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think that most of the wrestling was okay. We got two decent matches and a couple throwaway type matches that were kind of story driven, but they all seem to accomplish something, you know, which is, that's kind of all you can ask for. Dave, what do you think of the show? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good show. Um, like what um, Andy was saying there, pretty much every match and segment was doing something to progress towards uh Starcade. Um, I think the overall goal of just hyping up Roddy Piper as a legitimate um, uh, opponent for Hogan was really well done. Uh, like you, like you were saying, almost, almost on the border of overdoing it. But I agree. I don't think I don't I don't think they they crossed that line. I think there was I think it was just the right amount. Um, and and yeah, just getting. Uh, People excited for matches at Starcade. I feel like if if you're looking at it from that side, they did a really good job. Um, you know, not every match was great, uh, but there was at least like a good variety. So if you're someone that was at the show, you were getting a little bit of everything. You got brawler tag teams. You had cruiserweight action. Um, you had like uh, DDP and Jared as a pretty like straightforward wrestling match. So you got a little bit of everything. So I, I think accomplish a lot of uh a, a lot of things you would want to do in um on an episode like this that's getting pretty close to starcade yeah so we uh, i i think that like this was a very effective episode in terms of getting over the a story of piper versus hogan i think that stuff was really well done and then when you had other storylines like the u.s title tournament uh that was fine um the Sullivan stuff, it I mean, it was as good as the rest of the Sullivan Benoit stuff has been. I don't like any of it, but I mean, it, I guess it is technically you can say they're advancing the storyline. It's just I don't like the storyline they're doing mm-hmm. or or kind of the weird way that they're doing it. But um, once you kind of get past those stories, though, in terms of just like we're going to have some matches because this is a wrestling show, that's where it kind of fell apart for me. Malenko graffiti was, you know, not something that really need to be out there. Enos and Wall Street was pointless. 
Um, so, so I think like the highs of the show were pretty good. The lows were pretty low, but ultimately it was, it was a quick watch. It was, it was a fun nitro. I didn't, I didn't hate watching it or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I'd say it was pretty good. Now, before we go and do our segment of the night and MVP segments, uh, Andy, first I want to give you a chance. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Where can they find the road home from wrestling and uh, anything else that you want to want to plug? Sure. It's easy to find us. You can Google uh, the road home from wrestling or find us on any podcast app, including, you know, Apple podcasts and Stitcher and, and, uh, you know, what's the, what's the big one, Spotify and all those. Uh, so check us out on there. Um, all of our episodes are up on every single one of those. And there are over 370 episodes of the road home from wrestling podcast, including interviews with people like Hornswoggle. And, uh, recently we had one with RJ city, which is, fucking amazing and you guys gotta listen to it if you if you hate um references to old hollywood stars then you're you're gonna love that that episode (laughs) um you know we have many many interviews with all kinds of folks you know uh, even mr jl himself so um you know check that out and also reviews of all kinds of shows uh you can follow me on twitter at drucifer tweets i'm a decent follow you know i think i'm pretty funny i do a lot of retweeting and kind of trying to promote other people um and then you can see you know catch up with us and everything we're doing at the road home fw on twitter and we're also on facebook we have a facebook page at the road home from wrestling and uh like us there too i think what what's great about your twitter account and uh i'm not this way and i i occasionally you know say i'm going to try to be this way but i just it's not me it's not my personality but what i like about your account is i find that you are a, a genuinely positive uh person you know um i it's few and far between that i really see you uh, complaining or even retweeting the complaints of others you're, you're generally always coming from a place of love uh, mainly for wrestling in general but really for the independent scene and so that's that's really fun to see I, I do think you're a great follower I encourage anyone who is on Twitter listening to the show to go ahead and give you a follow all right all that out of the way we've just got one thing left that's our segment of the night our MVP let's do MVP first this week uh, Dave, let's start with you. Who is your MVP? I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with like uh, maybe a lazy or an easy answer, and I'm I'm gonna say the Nature Boy Ric Flair um, because his his single segment with Roddy Piper was by far the most effective way that they have uh, hyped up Roddy Piper as being like the big challenger for Hogan. Um, I, I think Roddy Piper, for his part, um, in each segment he was in, I thought he was really good. I at the, I mean, his uh, promo at the beginning rambled on for a little bit, but that's, I mean, that's, I mean, some of the, the older wrestlers, that's uh, kind of an accepted thing. But I think especially the, hit the promo with um, Piper and Flair really stood out. So, uh, well, okay, I'm going to give it to both of them. I'll give it to Piper and to Flair as like a co-winners. Sure. I'm going to give mine to Piper. He was all over the show. He was the main attraction. Uh, I think that as someone with a reputation for getting all kind of goofy and wild and all over the place, I think he kept it reasonably uh, well honed to a decent point that was easy to follow tonight. So uh, oh, I thought he was pretty effective and, and did a lot to build his big Starcade match. Andy, what was your who was your MVP of the show? 
Well, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here and give it to the person who deserves MVP on every show that they are ever on because they are the greatest commentator, interviewer, whatever you want to call them, backstage person in the history of pro wrestling, and that is Mean Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene Okerlund is, when he is gone, there is a giant hole in your show that is missing, and no one can fill that hole. Um, he is just one of the best that there is, and I think that without him, you these some of these promos that were not good would have been awful without him right. and if it weren't for him he's the glue that holds everything together and uh i i love mean gene i can watch mean gene he's he's one of my favorite favorite wrestling personalities period wrestler or or non all right that leaves just our segment of the night i'll go first there uh my segment of the night i'm gonna give that to flair and piper's promo together uh, for I mean, Dave kind of went into it earlier. Uh, I just thought that was really, really well done, and both guys came across as super likable. Uh, they, you could tell that they genuinely uh, like each other, and and that was important to the story. So I liked that that was such a part of it. Uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, Dave, what about you? What was your segment of the night? Uh, well, just following up on my MVP, I would give it to the. Uh, interview with Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. Um, it worked really well for both of them, even though the the, I mean, the purpose was really to get um, Piper over. And you just couldn't you couldn't help but like really want to like those two and, and rally behind them. And we will finish with our esteemed guest Andy. What was your segment of the night? The uh, the DDP versus Jeff Jarrett match. That match was. Great. It was really good, and DDP did such a great job in that match. He made me enjoy Jeff Jarrett, which is just tremendous. I should have given him MVP. What am I doing? (laughs) Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially being willing to come and give it uh, swing number two after the technical issues derailed us for literally a period of months. So uh, I I sincerely do appreciate that. Uh, Thank you so much, and I, I do hope that you will come back on again soon and watch another Nitro with us in the future. I would love to do that. I had a blast, and, uh, you know, if you're listening to this show for the first time, get on Apple Podcasts, leave them a review, uh, help other people find this show, because this show is fucking awesome, and uh, I've done everything I can to try to turn on others to your show, because I think it's really great, and uh, if you're out there and you're not listening to it, well, fuck you. (laughs) That's good. It's good someone's doing that, because me and Dave mostly find ways to turn people off of the show, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Yeah, pretty actively doing that. (laughs) But there are still plenty of you out there who join us whenever we are here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. The very next night on Wednesday, we're going to be in Green Bay for WCW Saturday night TV taping as well. Jarrett gets the two count after that big fist off the top. One, two, small package. Almost got a win that time. Fashion capital of the world, you know. What, Green Bay? Yes, that's where they make all the bowling shirts for the women. Is is that it? Size 58 large. (laughs)